This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Liam Stollerek, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash Wrestling. And hey, you can support the show and I get access to over 50 exclusive episodes as well as our new How To Revisited series by becoming just a $5 backer now. Kevin, stop being a ham and egger and use your brain. It's time to listen to your family and get yourself a new wrestling puzzle game. It's God's gift to humanoids. It's called The Muscle Hustle and it's available for free on Google Play and the App Store now. And as the best things in life are free, you can get a free gift from your best podcast pals by putting in the code HOWTOBOBBY to get a special gift in-game. Early reports indicate that this may result in the death of Hulkamania. And hey, if you're an independent creator or wrestling brand and want to get a shout-out on the show, send us an old email to howtowrestling at gmail.com. But for now, enjoy our new episode. It's HOWTOBOBBY HEENAN. Greetings, humanoids, and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And today we are talking about the weasel himself, the greatest mind and one of the funniest people in the history of professional wrestling. We are talking, of course, today about the incomparable Bobby the Brain Heenan. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin, the Cowboy Man. Join us, I am always, in this look through and educational guide through all of wrestling's fabulous figures, both past and present, fabulous and less fabulous, by Joe the Fabulous Graham. Fabulous. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm great. I've just watched a ton of Bobby Heenan clips, so I'm feeling good. This is great, right? This is one of those episodes where it is a total absolute non-stop joy yeah. to watch it and it's like hey I think we should watch another clip yes you know <laughs> and it's our job yes Ugh. supplemental viewing usually is kind of like a, yeah okay I understand it maybe we need to watch another few things to enjoy this this it felt like I had to say you know what we have to stop watching Bobby <laughs> Heenan now because there's too much we're watching we're going to spoil <laughs> our dinners Joe how often do you say you would laugh at wrestling I, that's a real difficult question to answer. I feel like I laugh a bit. You yeah. probably know better than I do, though, how much I actually do laugh at things. I mean, I know that when we first started getting into wrestling together, or I should say where you started watching, mm. I don't think you had realised that wrestling was this world that is full often of unintentional, but often intentional humour. I mean, do yeah. you know that comedy played this role in wrestling at the start? No, I definitely, I had no idea that comedy could be in wrestling whatsoever. But I feel like, like comedy is less a part of wrestling these days than maybe mm. it was when you started watching. Yeah, because I think... During the Attitude Era, I mean, all the clips we've watched with Stone Cold Steve Austin. They're all so funny. And Vince McMahon and Kurt Angle. There's a lot of, like, played up for yucks comedy there. Mm. And oftentimes in wrestling, the funniest stuff isn't really the things that are planned. I mean, I know to this day, even though we've watched a lot of funny clips in wrestling, intentional and otherwise, I think the most I've seen you laugh at wrestling, nay, laugh at anything, was when Vince Russo got gacked in that match in WCW against Ric Flair. Yeah, because it was absolutely ridiculous. I still can't believe that's... I still can't believe that's wrestling. I think (laughs) the moments that make me laugh most within wrestling are the moments where I find myself, like, just... In almost denial that this is wrestling at all. Mm. 
Like that is so silly that just the skies opened and blood fell every sorry, not blood, a red viscous liquid. Thank you. We can still remain PG now. <laughs> fell and just covered him and he was left squirming around in this goo. So you've often told me that you think there's comparisons between wrestling and like uh, theatre and uh, dance and things like that. Mm. So I guess it only makes sense that comedy could play a role within wrestling if it is just kind of like I don't know, like a medium for these stories to play out. Humour is a part of that, right? Absolutely, yeah. And even like you know, throughout the episodes that we've done over time I think the best the best wrestling is always when it has a bit of comedy in it. Mm. Like a nice break midway through, some comic relief, or when nurses are able to add comedy to their wrestling. Like I find Natalia, when she plays a heel and she screams about her cats, that's like the funniest thing to me. I love it. Kevin Owens is so funny as well in the ring when he like starts screaming at his opponents. So, I mean, funny doesn't make money. That is a, unfortunately, rhyming and therefore catchy catchphrase that has made its way throughout wrestling. And I don't know. I couldn't disagree with that more because if there's one element that you could take away from wrestling that would probably take away my fandom and make me not inclined to watch anymore, and this is watching for 20-some years now, I think if someone said, you know what, there's going to be no more humor whatsoever in wrestling, Mm. I'd be like, you know what? I think I'm done, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's an inherently silly sport, so it needs to have a bit of comedy, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you lean into it, I mean, Hayden himself has said, Bobby Heenan has said, like, this thing, this wrestling thing, it is, like, it's the weirdest thing in the world. If it's done right and it's done well and the story is told correctly, there's nothing like it. But if it's done wrong, there's nothing, like, as shambolic and silly mm. and, like, patently absurd as wrestling. And yeah. yeah Another thing which we maybe don't see a lot of in wrestling at the moment, and I was wondering if you know of many, but managers. Mm. I mean, how many managers do you know of in wrestling since you started watching? Would you like me to count them? Yeah, anyone's that spring to mind and any thoughts? This will be entertaining for the listeners at home. I'll (laughs) list all the managers I can think of. Okay. We've got Lana, who is now also a wrestler. She's more a wrestler than a manager now, But she was a manager when I started watching. Um, You've got Titus O'Neil, who's both a manager and a wrestler. Mm, that's true. You've got Paul Heyman. Yeah, although he would say... He's an advocate. He's an advocate. And the reason he says is because he can't be a manager because therefore then he wouldn't be the greatest manager of all time because that's Bobby Heenan. So he's an advocate and he's the right. best advocate of all time. I see. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, who else is there? Hmm. I don't know if there is anyone else. Like, Oh, no, there's Drake Maverick. Yeah. He's the manager of Authors of Pain. Yes. And what a job he's doing at that. Yeah. I think you described him the other day as one of their trouser legs became sentient and became an evil little manager. Yeah, it's very entertaining <laughs> to watch their matches, especially at the end if you imagine that Drake Maverick is their trousers, yeah. having been given the gift of life. And when he holds them all, their arms up, right, and they're all together in the row like that, it's like the Authors of Pain are in a big sack race together, isn't it? Yeah. And that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Any other managers that spring to mind? Get Leo Rush at the moment. We're in 2018, oh, where we're, Vince is trying a lot of new managing yeah, things. Yeah, Leo Rush, he's great. Mm. But mm. Bobby the Brain Heenan, he's one who's popped up a few times in past episodes, has he not? He has popped up in one episode. I think two. Which two? He's popped up on How To Perfect. Yeah. Where I think you immediately fell in love That's with That's the one him. with the hammer. <laughs> yes, it's the one with the hammer. And also, when we did How To Commentary... We used his famous performance at the Royal Rumble 1992 to talk about the use of comedy or, oh, or yeah. colour commentary to mm. tell a story. 
you know, that's not fair to Flair or whatever. Um, if you've never seen it and you want to know what Bobby Heenan's all about, find the 1992 Royal Rumble where Bobby Heenan's friend and the person he's managing, Ric Flair, enters in like number two in the Royal Rumble and he spends around an hour having a very slow comedic heart attack uh, on commentary. It's a great time. <laughs> So, Bobby Heenan, before we got into the research and whatnot for this episode, what were the main kind of beats of Bobby Heenan that you knew about? What did you know about the brain? I knew he had a hammer. <laughs> I knew he was a funny man on commentary. Mm-hmm. That was it. That's pretty much it, man. I mean, I was a less than confident when showing you Bobby Heenan. Why? Because it's someone from a very specific time in wrestling, kind of ribbon and making jokes which honestly jokes in wrestling don't necessarily age the best mm. i mean i remember watching recently we did a bit of wrestlemania 3 for how to macho man and a bit beforehand and you were like hey who's that in commentary it's like oh it's uh, jesse ventura he's my favorite it's great he's like oh look at chico santana there he's mexican we should kill him Jesus, no one should yeah. cross the border. Mm-hmm. I hate Mexican. You're going to die. I have no immigration. But that's Jesse Ventura. I know, but I just like, there's this thing. It's like heel, wrestling, comedy. Usually racism comes in a long right. way. Like. Yeah, and especially, I suppose, historically, especially so. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Hispanic babyface in the 80s, in WWF particularly, that was going to become a large part of what they were talking about on commentary. Mm. and Or like, if you were from the Fiji Isles, like for instance as well, or you were from deepest to darkest Africa, as they so nicely put it on commentary. You know, usually speaking, this stuff didn't age well. But I'll be honest, I was fucking delighted, and not only how well Bobby Heaton stuff had aged, but just like how funny you found it. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided to settle in, and we watched... A shitload of Bobby Heenan clips. We watched lots of primetime wrestling. Mm -hmm. We watched some clips from commentary. We got loads and loads of segments and recommendations from people on Twitter. I think our section where we go through tweets is going to be a little bit longer today because there's a lot of just little pod highlights we'd get into. But we also decided to sit down and watch Bobby the Brain Heenan, the documentary that was released in 2011, which is available on the WWE Network, hidden away in the Beyond the Ring section. What were your thoughts on this documentary, Joe? I enjoyed it very much. It was yeah. very good. Yes, it was very entertaining. It's maybe a difficult question to ask before we get into the commentary, but could you describe the character of Bobby the Brain Heenan for someone who's never heard of him before? I will do my best. Okay. He's Boris Johnson. <laughs> no, everyone's going to stop listening. No, but it's it's good because he's Boris Johnson if Boris Johnson was a heel manager who was, like, detested by everyone and yeah. humiliated on a very frequent, regular basis. You by... really are talking like just Boris Johnson, yeah. basically. Mm. Heenan, of course, famously toured the country in a bus saying uh, every week we give $250 million to Hulk yeah. Hogan. Shouldn't we properly fund the NHS instead? Mm. And they called him out on that figure, didn't they? If you imagine that just that Boris Johnson is Bobby Heenan. Yeah. It's it will be very good for your mental health, but not great for your grasp on reality. Okay, now I would be remiss if I assumed that the 50% of our audience who live in the United States or not in the UK know what the fuck you're talking Just about Google right now. Just Google Boris Johnson. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. It's it's him. Is it possible to describe Bobby Heenan without the Boris Johnson analogy? 
No. <laughs> he's look, he's Boris Johnson's body and hair, mm-hmm. but like not in it's not Boris Johnson's brain or mouth. Okay. He Bobby Heenan's hilarious. Mm. He's really funny, but he's horribly mean. Mm. And at times it is a bit tasteless. Yeah, he does cross the line frequently. Yeah. Like he has this whole feud that he did with the big boss man, and it was over the boss man's mother, he would just constantly make jokes about how ugly she was, how overweight she was, how, you know, hideous she was, or how bossman should be ashamed to have that mother. And then the boss man would, like, have to do this feud where he's like, Bobby Heenan, you've been talking mess about my mama! I love my mama! How dare you, you know? And he got beat up at the end of it, but some of it maybe is a little bit, like, it's a bit harsh, I guess, when you're watching wrestling now, when people don't go for the jugular like that. Harsh, yes, but also, as you were saying earlier about things not aging very well Mm. he has come out with a couple of lines that definitely would not be suitable for a modern audience so maybe why he's not hitting that racist drum maybe like some of the jesse vittori stuff there is a lot of like fat jokes or jokes about people's upbringings and yeah he can be he can be very vicious like take it too far but outside of that which i do i do feel those kinds of comments seem to be in the minority it's mostly just he's just really really clever and very cutting mm. and he manages to be for the most part i think mean in a way that isn't offensive mm. like we'll read out some of his best lines later on in the show but he's just he's so funny and he manages to be so despicable like that's the whole point about bobby heenan he's a horrible man yeah who you are supposed to hate. You're not supposed to agree with necessarily the things he's saying. You're supposed to kind of laugh along and then kind of want to see him get beaten up at the end. Yeah. Which is great because you do get to see that and he's very entertaining to see get beaten up. He's (laughs) he's kind of what you'd imagine it would be like if you watched actual Boris Johnson get beaten up. He he flops around all the time. He uh, squirms everywhere. He gets flipped over the top ropes. He gets thrown into shit all the time. Yeah. And then at the end of matches, if he loses, he uh, is laying there unconscious and then he has to be forcibly put into a weasel suit, just like Boris Johnson. (laughs) More on that in a bit. So, I mean, on the surface, Bobby Heenan's character, he's from Beverly Hills, California, is where he's meant to be from. So he's meant to be slick, stylish. He's meant to be all that. The hair, always immaculate. Bobby Heenan would always be wearing very, very snappy suits, sparkly blazers with a matching sparkly bow tie, embroidered, you know, we'll say like California or Beverly Hills or The Brain, whatever it was. He would always have all this kind of flash on him. But at the same time as being very glitzy and glamourful, he also was tacky and a little bit cheap because for every one of those suits where it's like, whoa, that's kind of shiny and great. And then you see him kind of up close and it's kind of like, wow. He does look a little bit like Rinky Dink, like if he went down to Butlins and there'd be some lad there kind of telling you to come in and see the family entertainment. He'd be dressed a bit like Bobby Heenan. He'd constantly talk about how successful he was and how much money he would make, yet any time, and it seemed to happen frequently when he was in any position to actually prove his worth or his wealth, he'd always come up short. He was constantly promising people loads and loads of money. And then like, you know, there'd be times where he'd be talking to the camera about you know how much money his clients make. And then his guy would be like, hey, I haven't been paid yet. Like, you know, <laughs> like, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm handling the money, you know. You got the feeling that Bobby Heenan was always living this kind of double life that he was a crook, basically. Yeah. He was the type of guy who you heard about in wrestling at the time. Like someone who would, 
you know, tell a guy one thing and he was almost like a parody of what Paul Heyman actually was. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, always positioning himself as being very successful and respectful and, oh, you don't worry about that. I'm on the phone to the guy right now. We're going to get that sword. Don't you worry. I got your tickets. I got your money. And that was all a character with Bobby. You know, thankfully, his character was never running a wrestling show. Yeah. But he was a spot-on parody of, I think, a lot of shit that a lot of wrestlers had to go through. Mm. And I think the fact that so many of the wrestlers find him so funny, I think, speaks to his very much on the pulse. It's the perfect style of humour for wrestling, I think. Yeah. Because Bobby said that wrestling was an industry that he came into where he felt it could use with a few smiles and a few laughs, as opposed to just grunting and spitting and burping and shouting and screaming all the time. (laughs) <laughs> I honestly, I think current day wrestling needs more humour. Yeah. I mean, there is a way to find humour and weave it into the story. Mm-hmm. And you know, Bobby Heenan can make you laugh and he can he make you smile as he wants to. But there's times as well that when it's important and when it needs to be switched on and there's the big match coming up, he can get those goosebumps and he can make you feel like it's a big important match or Hulk Hogan or whoever it is, is in big trouble or a big jeopardy. So let's have a little look at this documentary. We learn all about Bobby Heenan's upbringing and his humble beginnings. He is originally from Beverly Hills, California and growing up in Beverly Hills, California in the 50s means that I feel that your entire life and your family surrounding you seems to be some sort of like weird hollywood parody i mean we get to see his family quite early on like his mum and his aunt and his grandmother his mum looks like a disney villain (laughs) she's great i love her and they talk about how he was obviously inspired into becoming a manager by his mum who was a manager of like a series of very like a very fancy hotel apartment complex type building where celebrities would stay pretty much the area in maholland drive is exactly what Mm. i managed it to be as they were like they're trying to put it over big and his wife who they interviewed this documentary is like it was a big deal Liberace his brother lived there (laughs) and his brother's family as well (laughs) like whoa one step away from Liberace he has quite not say a troubled upbringing but definitely it's the type of upbringing and the type of childhood that it's just it's always shocking for I guess those of us living growing up when we've grown up or where we've grown up this is inconceivable about his childhood he basically left high school in eighth grade which to us uk citizens that would make you about 13 14 years old so that's a year eight if you're in ireland that's second year in secondary school it's like fucking i can't think of a time when i was more vulnerable in my life yeah than eighth grade and not only did he just leave high school he left high school to look after his mother and his grandmother basically his aunt died and his mum, who was really close to her was her sister obviously decided right let's up and move we're gonna move back to where his aunt lives it's like indianapolis so yeah that's gonna be a big shock if you are living you're bobby heaton he lived down the road from wrigley stadium he's a big baseball fan you're living in you know you're living in beverly hills for fuck's sake mm. and then you have to get taken away from that at a young age and move to indianapolis to look after your sick mother and your grandmother and not just you know look after him as in being a carer and then going to school or whatever he had to get a fucking job yeah so what was his job he worked at the local stadium in indianapolis just as a stagehand at the start so he's 13 or 14 he would work for 
depending on what was on there at the time. So you do stuff for the circus, or you do stuff for like if there was you know ballet, or there was like you know big shows on, and he would do things like you know get people a coffee or bring people's bags around, just being like kind of a stagehand, a guy to be there. And that's where he kind of got into wrestling because wrestling would run in the the Coliseum there, and he would then be like a ring boy so he'd take people's jackets to the ring and he starts getting to hang around some of these people like you know Baron Von Rashti and stuff like that so he kind of like Heyman floated around those circles realized that's what he wanted to do and then just kind of set his target and just ended up getting interesting and being kind of absorbed into this fraternity so to speak it was uh interesting to hear about his young exploits a couple of reasons number one Bobby Heenan in his like early 20s or late teens Looks exactly the same as he does now. It's so strange. Well, you say now. I mean. Oh, sorry. I mean, as he does in kind of it is it is heyday. I in guess. His, yeah, in his fifties. <laughs> it is a bit strange because like you see pictures of him in his in his youth, and he's this pretty boy. He's even like they have a picture of him, and they've called him Pretty Boy Heenan. <laughs> As the title of the picture. And he is. He's a very pretty boy. I thought he's more handsome than pretty now. No, I think he's pretty. He's got yeah. lovely eyelashes. <laughs> he is. He's got and nice kind eyes. eyes, hasn't he? Clever eyes. Clever eyes. But then when he, like, I don't know, he must be like his mid-twenties, late-twenties, and he suddenly transforms into this 50-year-old man. It's when he gets sideburns, it all goes mm. downhill from there, and he starts wearing sports coats. But so. it's great. It suits his character so well. Mm. Like, I don't know if he could have pulled off that character as well as he did if he didn't look a bit like a kind of lumpy old man. That's so great about him as well, is that, like, when you've kind of, like, prime Heenan... He's again, you know, he's wearing all these fancy clothes. He's this, you know, uh, this very kind of articulate, well-spoken, supposedly very successful manager. But then when he's like running away and stuff like that, he is like an odd potato man. Like yeah. he, he looks very, he has a very comedic body shape mm-hmm. and he works that to his advantage. Yeah. Like he trained to become a wrestler in the first case. He's so funny. Yeah. We, we actually watched a couple of his, his matches and he's, I loved him as a wrestler. He's way better than Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah. He sells more than Hulk Hogan anyway. Yeah. He gets off his feet constantly. He's like flopping all over the place. He really has taken those shots. It's, the really hard way to get into like being a manager because like I remember when I was a kid it's like I would see Paul Bear come out with Kane and The Undertaker it's like he just fucking stands there and laughs and gets the, gets the best seat in the house I want to do that like when I <laughs> when I had Wrestlemania 2000 the first wrestling game I owned I made myself and I didn't make myself as a wrestler I was a manager mm. for my real character Kevin Devil who was 7 foot 3 <laughs> he's taller than you big show what are you going to do when Kevin Devil accompanied to the ring by Kevin <laughs> takes you down a peg but I was like, oh, how'd you become like a, a manager? That's like the greatest gig ever. But Bobby trained to be a wrestler and like got the shit knocked out of him as a rookie and then became a manager as a result. Yeah. He kind of got like, because he was so quick-witted, a lot of the wrestlers in the locker room kind of saw that he had value as a talker because a lot of wrestlers would struggle with talking. And even though Bobby Heenan, he'd apparently come in and tell tall tales to the locker room about all the crazy adventures he'd be on. Apparently, like, one of the, the really scary Japanese wrestlers grabbed him once and said, Bobby Heenan, if you weren't so good to your mother and your grandmother, I'd kill you. <laughs> okay, it pays to be kind to your family. Yeah, seriously. You can be mean to literally the entire country mm. as long as you're good to mom and grandmom, you're golden. Yeah. So he got his first managing gig, which is managing the Blackjacks, Blackjack Mulligan and Blackjack Lanza. So he was used as a manager 
where he would be doing a lot of talking for people. But he did end up actually managing a lot of wrestlers who were quite good talkers themselves. Mm. But he would be part of that act. So, like, he went into the AWA then, which was a big territory in Minneapolis. And he was a manager of Nick Bockwinkel and Ray Stevens. And those are two guys who could both talk very, very well. Nick Bockwinkel is, like, one of the most verbose wrestlers ever the first wrestler i think ever to use the word acumen correctly in a sentence in wrestling <laughs> i met nick bockwinkle at a wrestling show and i went up to him afterwards and i said mr bockwinkle i just want to let you know that you're the most meticulously groomed and uh <laughs> you're the most meticulously groomed individual in the history of wrestling and he looked really confused and then he was like actually no that's a compliment and then all the other wrestlers who were near him were like yeah he is Aww. good job so I feel like I've made a positive impact there in the world of wrestling. Oh, that's nice. So at what point did... Because they mentioned in this documentary that he actually managed Macho Man's dad. Yes! The legendary man who did 6,033 sit-ups in four hours. That's really weird because at the moment there I went, is it 6,034? And I got really scared like he's going to come get us. (laughs) And make us do 6,033 or 34. (laughs) Edit out the wrong one, Kevin or Joe, please. We can take this risk. I don't want the ghost of Macho Man dad here i am positive it's because it's, it's the age jesus died which as we all know was that's we all 33 years old the same age as shakespeare Is, oh really i think so really wow it, edit this out if that's not true i don't want the ghost of jesus shakespeare and angelo <laughs> Paffo in here fucking wrecking the place up the ghosts of christmas past that'd be the worst yeah and it's coming up to christmas it's just the wrong time for it now lads we could do without it <laughs> So the AWA, it's an interesting one. We actually will, might do an episode on that eventually. But if you look at the roster of the AWA in like 1983 or two, which is before Vince McMahon Jr. kind of took over things and started going national, you had Bobby the Brain Heenan, Mean Gene Okerlund, you had Hulk Hogan, you had the Junkyard Dog, you had Rowdy Roddy Piper, you had Jesse the Body Ventura. You had basically all the names and stars that you would heavily associate with the WWE uh, in the early 80s. So Heenan was part of that kind of original groundswell of like really top talent that Vince wanted to nick. Bobby Heenan, as the manager of Bockwinkel and Stevens, these guys absolutely worked everyone up into a frenzy. They went three years as the tag champions. They had multiple sellouts. They would do a gimmick like once or twice a year, Bobby would actually put on the tights again and he would wrestle and get the fuck knocked out of him. But he was such a nasty heel. And they glanced over this in the documentary. like <laughs> Super you, casual, yeah. Super casual. What happened with Bobby Heenan? How much of a heel was Bobby, Joe? I've actually, I had heard about this before. Really? In, in like, you know, wrestling legends, you know, myths and rumours, that kind of thing. Yeah. I had heard that this had happened once. I didn't realise it was Bobby Heenan it had happened to. So he was such an effective heel. And bear in mind, this is a time when... There was no such thing really as wrestling fans being kind of in on it. They yeah. they didn't know that wrestling was fake. What? Predetermined. Thank you. We have to beep out any f words on this podcast as we're uh, <laughs> as we're all aware of that. Okay. They didn't know that wrestling was predetermined. I would also accept instead of predetermined, <laughs> I'll also accept not phony or fake bogus bogus <laughs> that sounds worse crooked crooked <laughs> or not entirely on the level okay <laughs> so yeah back in the day wrestling fans you know they didn't know that wrestling wasn't entirely on the level so heels had a, i think 
in a way a much I think a much harder job because I think if wrestling fans aren't in it it means you've got to be really wound up by them really got to hate them for real mm. to be kind of what's the phrase gain, gain heat yeah to get heat from yeah, them to yeah to get heat because there's something really sad about like a baby face or a good guy who's out there trying to get the crowd to cheer him that's a sad sight but I think the saddest sight in wrestling is the heel particularly the heel speaking trying to get people to boo them and not it not working. Yeah, because you'll just get kind of nothing. You'll yeah. just get silence. Like, it's totally awkward. Like or the t- disapproving moans. Like, mm. Yeah, like the time when Kurt Angle to try and get John Cena over as a heel, and he's like, you know who I don't like? The black people. Oh. And also, if I could go back in time and put one person in the anchor lock, it'd be Jesus. <laughs> and it's like, and everyone is like, yay, Kurt. It's like, damn it, they're not booed. I'm like, they, 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 they kind of like this. Now you're all going to get haunted by Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, a couple of fans maybe got a bit too worked by Heenan's effective heel role. And one day, a man came along to watch one of his shows, which Heenan was billed at, and he brought along a gun, and he shot the gun to try and kill Bobby Heenan. Like, can you fucking imagine how scary that would be? Like, being so effective at being a bad guy that someone's literally come along to bring a gun to kill you. It's so scary because there's a couple of, like, stories of, you know, wrestling fans going, like, overboard or whatever, being worked to to a a scary level. When we talk about Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, at some point, there's going to be a lot of chat about times like that. Those are a group of guys who... You know, there was instances where the fans knocked down the barriers and they're in a cage match and the fans are surrounding the cage trying to kill them. Can you imagine how scary that is? I mean, there's stories of wrestlers being stabbed several times. There's, you know, lots of stories of the Dudley boys, them coming back in their rental cars, like, you know, has all the the wheels taken off and there's guys there like ready to beat the shit out of them. But this is like another level. This is a guy not just shooting once. He fired wildly. He wounded five people in a crowd. Oh my God. God. And can you imagine a scarier place to be than in a wrestling show where you don't know, this is like 81, I think it was it was late 70s or early 80s this happened, where no one really knows 100%. Some people are, are kind of in on it, but most people are there with families probably. Yep. Don't really know that this is, I think it's a wholesome show they're going to. And also a packed stadium. These yeah. things are filled to the brim. But they would, yeah, I mean, one of the shows they said it was for one of the weasel suit matches, they crammed like nearly 20,000 people into these smallish arenas. Like, they were arses to elbows in there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in one hand, it's like, way, great heel work there, Bobby Heenan. Yeah. But I wonder if that maybe set him on a course of, I need to be the comedy guy with heel tendencies as opposed to the monster heel guy with comedy tendencies. I can't imagine the guilt you would feel if, like, you know, five people getting shot. Like, okay, no one died, yeah, mm. that's good, but, like... Five people getting wounded, that's Five crazy. people getting wounded, yeah. So and also the trauma of... If you mean you're, you're there and someone's shooting off yeah. a gun in the in there, you're, you're going to get traumatised from that. Yeah, Lots of people, absolutely. I'm sure, suffered. And just, oh, God, yeah, I don't blame him at all for going to kind of a more comedy direction after that. What did he say, I wonder? I don't know. I don't know. Like, they, they really breeze through it here. Yeah. It's kind of like, we can't do this documentary without mentioning it, but we don't want to talk about a gun at a wrestling show 
it's just kind of it's yeah let's just move past it, and, yeah i'd love to know more about that whole situation there's around this time they were talking about you know bobby heenan's being the special attraction and being one of the kind of the biggest draws for the awa when he would finally pop in there and wrestle we could see him wrestle with like Vern Gagne and stuff like that but we also got to see him in a weasel suit match now we've watched a few clips of weasel suit matches we've seen him in there with greg Gagne. we've seen weasel suit match against the ultimate warrior joe what is a weasel suit match, which you declared to me this morning is your new favourite match type? Yeah, so the weasel match is basically the antidote to a bra and panties match. <laughs> because basically, Bobby Heenan would do these wrestling matches, and if he lost, which he always did, he would be sent unconscious. Because he's great at selling, is, is Bobby. He really will like throw himself around. And he'll inevitably end up lying on the floor, kind of out of it a bit. And meanwhile, they'll put him in a weasel suit against his will. Now, what's in, what's a weasel suit, Joe? Because, I mean, I've got a background in zoology and I love myself some weasels. We don't have weasels in Ireland, we've only got stoats. Hmm. So, obviously, being UK born and bred, you're more of a weasel expert than me. What's, that, what's a weasel suit got going for us? Well, I was actually a bit confused by this because i thought a weasel suit would be like a weasel costume and maybe look a bit like an actual weasel but that's not it at all it's just a onesie with a tail (laughs) it's got claws on it though yeah i guess it does kind of have some claws it's very comfy looking it does it looks really cozy i want one for christmas so bobby would lose the match he'd then be knocked out in one of the clips we saw it takes three men to put him into this it's amazing he's such a dead weight it's yeah he doesn't want anyone to believe that he cooperated no. at all he no, no, totally no. knows he sells. makes it really difficult for them it's fantastic and what happens when bobby then wakes up so then he wakes up and it's like he's so good again he's so good like i feel like anyone else who does this would like wake up and somehow immediately know that they're in the weasel suit but he doesn't he wakes up slowly, kind of comes around. It's really convincing. You really get the feeling that he's been knocked out and he's slowly coming to. Because they'd always put him in like a sleeper hold or something. So mm. it'd be like, oh, he has been knocked out. So it's he's not just going to be up and angry. It's going to be up and that, like he's waking up for he's the first time. He's drowsy and yeah. he's rubbing his eyes a bit. And then he'll look down at his like hands or whatever and see that he's got claws and mittens on the best thing yeah, is there was one of the ones where he he rubs his eyes to get like sleep out of his eyes or whatever and then he, he does a slow look at the palm and his eyes just get huge it's like a subtlety that you don't think you would see in wrestling before it becomes this multi-camera production mm. because obviously when vince brought along you know, the big zooms or kevin dunn had to zoom in and out and zoom in and out and zoom in. <laughs> imagine a weasel suit now it'd be like <laughs> But, like, just to see him, like, in this grainy footage from the 80s and the 70s mm. and him putting on this suit and the crowd erupting. Yeah, they all immediately chant Weasel. And then <laughs> he very ineffectively tries to remove the Weasel suit. So he, like, run around. It's like a dog chasing his tail or it's something. like. amazing. It's such a comedy work of art. He literally, yeah, he chases his tail. He throws himself into the ropes. He flops down to the floor and wriggles around he's the most useless man at removing it's obviously not difficult to take off yeah you could get if you were a total heel and wanted to know Sally you could just be like rip yeah, it off yeah you just rip it off it's easy he like tries to grab the tail he manages <laughs> to like just fuck it up at every corner like every time you think he's almost gonna get an arm out he doesn't he like falls over or ends up chasing off someone instead he gets distracted it's so funny it was great when we watched the one with the ultimate warrior at the end Joe was like wow he got a better match out of that weasel suit than he did out of the ultimate warrior he's really worried 
work in that thing. <laughs> There's something to be said for the innocence of the time, though. Not just that, you know, in the AWA, when people, a lot of people were thinking it was legit, that people were thinking, here's this horrible man mm. who a few years ago we were fucking shooting at. Yeah. And here he is in these silly pajamas. We're going to all dress him up in this pajama suit. And we're going to chant weasel. weasel at him. Mm. And a whole crowd chanting weasel, weasel. That is so fucking sweet and innocent. I know. And the fact they all thought that this was a real villainous man who was being, this was being done to. I, I can't... It's so weird because when we're doing this podcast, like I always have these little pockets in my mind of like, here's what wrestling was like in this area this time, you know? And I think of early 80s, AWA, pre-kind of expansion of WWF. I think of like the likes of Roddy Piper breaking in. I think of dusty arenas, guys chewing cigars, people being worked, even including the workers, shitty pay. Like, I think of all the negatives. I don't think of it being like... A twinkle in my eye as fucking kids and adults are going, there's a man dressed in a weasel suit, yay! I love it. I wish that there was more wrestling which involved forcibly dressing people in comfortable pajamas. <laughs> okay, fantasy book me now then, Joe. Who on the roster currently, 2018, we're in fall, mm. who do you want to see put into what pajamas or what onesie? Book it for me. I need, I need the fantasy here. I want... At the crown jewel, <laughs> um, D Generation X, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, in their current age, you yep. know, fifties, sixties, seventies, taking 80s. on the Brothers of Destruction, The Undertaker and Kane. Ah, oh, that's not fair though, Joe. Kane's already in his pajamas. Well, and I want them to be forced into a unicorn onesie. <laughs> what all in one? What, both of them? As in, like, both have to be like, the two-person horse costumes. And, like, I'm not a horse's ass. <laughs> no, I think two separate ones. Okay, all right. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And then they have to wrestle a unicorn stipulation then, yeah? No. Like, oh, so just one team is in the unicorn. What are you talking about? Well, it's a two-person outfit, and you've got four people in the ring. I'm trying to figure out, is it, like, the, everyone, like, the Brothers of Destruction DX are all going to get into their separate unicorn costumes and then fight? No, 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 no. It's like a Brian Panties match, but okay. obviously not disgusting. This is cool instead. So you've got the two teams, yeah. each of which have access to two unicorn onesies. And then it's whichever team can put the other team in a unicorn onesie first is the winner. And then the ones who end up in the unicorn onesie are the losers. Oh, I see. So instead of like, you know, stripping them down to their underwear, you're forcing them into a unicorn onesie Ideally from Primark, one of those fleece ones. Okay. The other idea I had for Crown Jill was that they could uh, drop, you know, like do the thing with Vince Russo, mm. drop a load of red viscous liquid, and then someone could like throw a small bundle of money into the ring. And then someone could turn and go, get it? Blood money. <laughs> and then you roll the credits, uh, you know, and then that would mm. be a great way to end the show. That's yeah. what we could do. I like mine better. Yeah? Okay. Well, yours has got unicorns in it. It's easy, isn't it? Like... So we look at Bobby Heenan making the inevitable move to WWF. Vince was hoovering up all of the stars and he was very smart. He wasn't just picking like your Hogan's and whatnot. He wasn't just taking the people who he knew could be big wrestling stars. He knew that the production around the wrestlers was just as important. That's why you got, you know, Mean Gene, who I think we've seen from the Macho Man episode alone is pivotal to getting a lot of those characters over. And Bobby the Brain Heenan, who managed to give a voice to pretty much a cavalcade of guys who had a good look but couldn't talk for shit and mm. we needed lots of challengers for Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan that was his kind of main role for the first few years was to be the guy to be the mouthpiece for the challengers for 
Hogan and Andre and all the kind of the good guys that we would see. So would he only manage heels then? Yes, he exclusively managed heels. The only time he didn't manage a heel is when he managed a guy by the name of the Red Rooster, who was Terry Taylor. And the Red Rooster would come out and go, Ha! I'm the Red Rooster! Uh, 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 my mama told me to be a good egg and not to peck anyone. And, you know, he had a real lame gimmick. Sounds like Jerry Lawler. It, 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 God, Jerry Lawler is the Red Rooster. Just gave me a fucking nightmare and it's in the <laughs> middle of the day. Um, but Bobby Heenan did a gimmick with him where it's like... You know, you're rubbish. You, you, you're fucking crap. You're not a heel. You're not proper. So he threw him to the side, and then he ended up wrestling him. But like, that's where he had his famous phrase of like, you know, I'm the head of the family. You listen to me, you go to the top. You don't listen to me, you're never heard from again. So he had the Heenan family. That was his big group of boys, and that started way in the '70s. It wasn't just a WWF thing. He always had a family in the different companies that he was in. But him leaving the AWA, I think I told you a little bit about why he was different to maybe Hogan or Mean Gene or a lot of those guys. So yeah, it was around the time when Vince was hoovering up all the other wrestlers with his big straw. (laughs) I drink your milkshake, I drink it up. Still relevant today. Still relevant today. Yeah, he hoovered up basically what was Ultimate Warrior and Mean Gene and all these other amazing top stars. Mm -hmm. But the only one who didn't leave with the rest of them straight away was Bobby Heenan. And that's because he felt that it was really unfair to the AWA for them to be left with like, you know, most of their talent been sucked out of the business. Um, and he still had dates officially booked with the company, so he thought, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow through for the fans, and I'm gonna finish the rest of my dates before moving on to this new shiny company." I mean, it's so like that's professionalism, I guess, is is the word for it. Yeah. Because I could tell you stories about Vern Gagne, and I mean, we talked about it in the Hogan episode. One of the reasons why Hogan left that company was because like Vern Gagne didn't want his wrestlers to make, have merchandise and make money off of it. I mean, of course you'd leave at the first opportunity. And it's just like, it says a lot that Bobby wanted to make sure that he was leaving on good terms. And that's like a thing throughout his career. He wanted to do the right thing. Didn't necessarily always work out that well for him. Doing the, doing the right thing in wrestling in the 80s seemed to be not necessarily the right thing to do if you wanted no. to make lots and lots of money. Um, but he told a story in, like, in a shoot interview where he was like, yeah, um, you know, Vern Gagne found out that I was leaving. And then he said, oh, you know, I want you to come and meet me. So then he rang up Vince. And he's like, yeah, I have to go and meet with Vern, just so you know. And Vince is like, oh, do you want me to go with you? Kind of like for backup. He's like, oh, I don't know, because Vern's kind of scary. And Vince is like, yeah, I want to videotape it and see what happens if he goes for you. Jeez. <laughs> so they knew, like, full well what they were doing. Like, they were essentially killing off that company. And there was a big part of it was leaving with Bobby Heenan. But being brought into the WWF and the glitz and the glamour, Heenan was kind of, he knew the shortcomings of the territories. He knew why Vince was going to be successful. Even if he didn't agree with all of it, like Heenan thought that kayfabe should have been kept alive kind of forever. He didn't. Really? Yeah, he thought that wrestling had lost, like he was interviewed in like 2001 or two, and he was like, you know, we've lost, we let the rabbit out of the hat, like... Everyone knows the secret now. We can't. Well, I'm surprised that's his attitude given mm. the whole incident with a gun. Yeah, like, I know. I think if that had happened to me, I'd be like, you know what, kayfabe, that's pretty bad. I think I'd like people not to bring guns to my shows and try and kill me. I guess he was probably, you know, in 2001 when like business started to get a bit smaller and, you know, WCW closed and ECW closed. Maybe he was thinking from the viewpoint of because we've been so successful in making this entertainment, we've lost the appeal it could have, at a local level at least, as a sport of getting people into an arena. But I don't know. It had changed. 
But he said, like, you know, when he was at WrestleMania 1, for instance, and he saw, you know, they had the Rock. This is what a weird group of people you have here. You had the Rockettes, you had Liberace, you had Muhammad Ali, you had Cindy Lauper, Spike Lee. Like, what a fucking cross-section mm. of media and culture at the time. And it's like, you know, you looked out and you saw the crowd was sold out and you had all these celebrities wanting to be a part of it. He knew that this was the way to go. That yeah. They were going to go national. So he's brought in originally to be the manager of Jesse the Body Ventura, but Jesse very quickly discovered that he had blood clots in his legs and couldn't wrestle anymore. So he was put with a wrestler whose name immediately made Joe do a big laugh, Big John Studge. <laughs> big John Studge. I want a big cuddle from Big John Studge. Really? I mean, he's huge. He he is huge. I well, I you know what? I can't get swaddled very often. Being no. being a large gentleman, and mm. I feel that Big John Studge, I could be cradled by him. Yeah, and that'd be nice. Just once, I want to get cradled. Yeah, you know? I know. I'm sorry, I can't <laughs> fulfil your needs. You're no Big John Studge. <laughs> I try. I try every day. So you were surprised to find out that Bobby didn't just manage one guy at a time. Mm. He had a whole group of guys. Mm -hmm. He had a family, so to speak. And it wasn't, you know, strange. During the 80s, you would see Bobby coming out four, five, maybe six times in one night. Because he had a big, large family of guys. And I'm going to read out to you now the extended Bobby Heenan family. Feel free to guffaw at any of the silly names. Ken Patera. Buddy Rose, Big John Studd, uh, King Kong Bundy, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. Wait, Mr. Wonderful? Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. As in, from the Shark Tank? No, this is a different Mr. Wonderful. Uh, this Mr. Wonderful challenged Hulk Hogan for the WWF Championship. Imagine that. I know, what? Imagine Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank in wrestling? Wrestling Hulk Hogan. <laughs> what, with Bobby? <laughs> Ultimate heel versus heel. You're dead to me, Hogan. <laughs> You're a dog, Hogan. <laughs> Hercules Hernandez. The King, Harley Race. Andre the Giant. King Haku. Wait, he- wait, was that two kings? That's actually three kings, because we had King Harley Race, King Kong Bundy, and King Haku. Bobby yeah. Heenan managed three kings. He did. At the same time. <laughs> Well, two of the kings he managed at the same time. I guess, is a King Kong the same as a king? Because King Kong Bundy didn't wear a crown. He was just King Kong Bundy. Like, I don't know. You tell me. He's not a technical king then, is he? Because he's not He's not a regal king. So isn't his, just his name was king? King Kong. King Kong Bundy. Well, I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the King Kong extended universe. And King Kong titles. was not... I don't think he had a lineage. <laughs> right. I mean, you're from the UK. You should know this royal family shit better than me. Like, But I don't know about King Kong. I know that King Haku replaced King Harley Race. And like he did a thing where I've got a better king than you now. It's King Haku. <laughs> so we had a king versus king match with the rights wow, to be the king. Wow, I want to see a king versus king match. Kings are funny. Yeah, that was it. When we saw this like montage of all of his family members you are popping big for the kings i it's like wizards i find kings really queens as well really funny are we getting down to the real reason why you hate jerry lawler so much now is that ruining he spoiled the king gimmick he doesn't deserve the king gimmick because if you're gonna have a king gimmick i mean at the very least you should probably have a beard yeah that's true i just feel for humor's sake Mm, i mean god so few of our kings had beards in wwe that's interesting it's a shame but they should definitely wear crowns and they shouldn't be Jerry Lawler <laughs> Rick Rude Tama Sifa Arn Anderson Tully Blanchard collectively known as the Brain Busters wait uh, does so wait Bobby the Brain Heenan managed the Brain Busters yes that sounds contradictory 
What, that they're going to bust brain? Yeah. Well, they would do the brain buster, the, finish, the, the finishing move, like, you know, the suplex dropping you onto your head. So, I mean, and they were... <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, because I was thinking they are busting on the brain's behalf. No, it sounds like they're busting the brain. Because Ghostbusters bust ghosts. Mm. So brain busters, assumedly. Bust brains. I'm not saying that Bobby Heen looks exactly like the ghost from the Ghostbusters logo, but he's close enough, like... I'm not sure I agree with you. Well, we need to send that out into the how to universe. Okay. We need to I need to get on Photoshop and see the quiff of the ghost just feel like it could be slicked back into a Bobby Heenan. I think if Heenan's gonna be compared to any kind of ghost, Casper <laughs> is the lumpiest of the ghosts. He'd be one of the heel ghosts, surely, like stinky That's or stretch true. or no, dick face be, yeah. or whatever those ones were called. <laughs> dick face. Terry Taylor, Brooklyn Brawler. <laughs> Brooklyn Brawler was great because he was a total jobber and he would always just like send him out there and like apparently like he said in the shoot interview he was like Brawler you gotta be like you're meant to be from Brooklyn you're meant to be this kind of dirty guy you know I want you to you go down into like the go down to the subway you get all the kind of sweat and the gas on you like the sewer fluid and all that yeah, that's what he wanted to do to look kind of dirty and greasy but Brawler just went outside into the street and just picked up a load of dirt and rubbed it all over him <laughs> The Missing Link Haku the Barbarian, Mr. Perfect, Ric Flair. So that's a pretty good uh, yeah, pretty good mix of guys. That's extensive. I know he had a guy called The Missing Link who used to like have green face paint and he had like the middle of his head shaved and he had a different colored tongue. And uh, when he was put... <laughs> yeah, he was The Missing Link. Like, woo, scary. What's that got to do with a tongue that's a different colour? Because it's the missing link in evolution. It could be anything between man and beast. So he had... Uh, I mean, let me... I'll just bring up a picture of the missing link for you now. Please do. Um, I'm a big fan, obviously, of my uh, of my evolutionary biology. <laughs> but the best thing about the missing link is that when he was put with Bobby Heenan... Like, Bobby did act, for, on, for a lot of guys, as an actual manager. Like, when he managed... Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens he did like handle their money and their airfare and stuff like that he was he worked as an actual manager with them so they kind of travelled together that would be difficult for him to do with all of them surely yeah he he kind of stopped doing that when he was with the missing link he's like yeah my gimmick is I don't speak so you need to go get my airplane tickets and he's like (laughs) "Uh, now your gimmick is now that you do speak and you go get your airline tickets because I ain't doing that shit for you the phrase that they used to describe Bobby Heenan was that he wrestled like a manager And he managed like a wrestler. Yeah, I really liked that. That's very apt description. Like, when he would interfere in matches, they showed loads of clips of him, you know, with his brass knuckles and, Mm -hmm. you pull on the legs and all that. There's a little bit that they show a few times. It's when he would slap people. That's my favourite thing. He did it so nonchalantly. Like, he'd just wander past while someone had been, like, knocked out and their head's kind of flopping out of the ring. Just give him a full-on whack in the face and then just continue walking by as if nothing had happened. I love it because it's like, you know, I don't need to work a slap. You can survive a slap from fucking five foot two Bobby Heen or whatever. Like, you know, you're a big, strong wrestler. I'm going to lay it in. He's walked by like a drive-by slapping. I absolutely adore it. <laughs> WrestleMania 1, we had the $15,000 body slam challenge where Andre the Giant tries to give everyone money and then Bobby Heenan just steals it all away and runs off, like, to keep the money for himself. No good heel. Now, looking at WrestleMania 3 and Andre versus Hogan, that was one which we covered for How To Hogan, and a match which got so much disdain from you, you made a classical wrestling about Hogan and Andre floating around the ring together. Yeah. 
I tried to retell the story for you with Bobby Heaton's involvement, and you came away saying that Andre the Giant was the total face. Yeah, I that. don't understand it at all. But then this has happened a few times in wrestling history, even, you know, quite recently, like with the Attitude Era and stuff. Mm. There is just occasionally an angle where the writers want you to boo the, the heel. Yeah. But they've done something that really, if you look at human decency, is the right thing to do. And I honestly, I, I feel that's the case in this situation. Yeah, he basically, he went up to Andre the Giant and was like, Oi, mate, have you noticed that Hulk Hogan, your dear friend Hulk Hogan, has never given you a title shot? Ever? What kind of friend is that? Doesn't seem like a very good friend to me. I think you should have a chance at the title, don't you? So then he, he basically worked Andre into fighting Hulk Hogan. But very valid point is that he Hogan didn't give Andre any title shots up until that point all he did was help Andre the Giant reach his actual potential and let him know what he should be doing this is the early days of Hogan fighting against wrestlers trying to unionise <laughs> any whiff of like a guy saying hey you should be getting an yeah, opportunity no. brother leg drop the union brother 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 <laughs> It's great. Like, Joe can basically be like Obi-Wan Kenobi and appear now as a spirit back in the 80s and be like, of course, what he was doing was actually okay. From a certain point of view, that is. <laughs> I'm totally team Andre and Heenan. I don't understand how they're supposed to be heels in this situation at all. And the way Hulk Hogan reacts to it as well is like he's deeply personally offended. Why, why, why would I give my friend a title shot, Andre? Dude, brother, what do you, what do you mean, man? Why would I help you? He's and like, he's looking around, what do you mean, right, fans? And I was like, yeah, why would you expect Hogan to help you? That's mean. <laughs> you big bully. <laughs> What I love about Heenan as a manager in his run in WWF is that he was involved on so many levels. He was involved with, like, real rubbish wrestlers, like low-level guys we talked about in Jobbers, like Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah. Guys who he'd refer to hatefully afterwards as ham and eggers, <laughs> implying to the fact that they made such little money from wrestling that they could only afford ham and eggs with their payday. Which is a really interesting phrase for me, because, like, ham and egg... Especially with chips. That's like one of the best meals. Literally, when Ooh. we started doing this whole research angle, like I, I brought up ham and eggers pretty much straight away. And that led to a discussion of Joe saying ham, egg and chips is actually a really great meal. It's one of my favourites. Which has further led on to now we're going to buy our first ever joint of ham in the next few weeks. I'm really excited. And also, ham and eggs aren't that cheap. So I don't even know what he's saying about the whole... <laughs> Ham and Eggers thing. What about Steve Austin having to eat a raw potato every day? Yeah, or Mick Foley having to eat peanut butter sandwiches in the back of his car, like, you know? I think a raw potato is slightly worse than uh, delicious peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah, I'll take ham and eggs any day of the week. You start calling me a raw potato scoffer, then I'm insulted. <laughs> yeah? Call me tune in rice, I know I'm just paying my dues in ECW and the paycheck is in the mail. Someday it's going to come, right? <laughs> but yeah, ham and eggers, I just want to say Bobby Heenan, you know what? It it may seem like a cheap meal, but yes, you're right. It's only a cheap meal if you buy the joint of ham, then you might make a pea and ham soup, ham and eggs, mm. then ham and egg sandwiches later on in the week. you got to freeze it, okay? Weasel, you've what you've done there is made us be very fiscally responsible with a piece of meat. Maybe that's really what he was intending with the phrase. It's like dual meaning. So on the one hand, he's saying, you know, these jobbers don't get paid enough to really have proper meals. But what they do contribute is kind of like a, a thrifty alternative to, <laughs> you know, more expensive products. You know, they, they contribute a lot in terms of variety. Yeah. Yeah. To, to the meal, you know. Yeah. 
I, I'm really looking forward to eating some ha- ham and eggs. We're proud hashtag how to ham and eggers right here. Let me tell you, <laughs> folks. The greatest thing about Bobby's run as a manager in WWF is that he had constant success with tag team championships from Haku and Andre to uh, managing the Brain Busters to having multiple Intercontinental Champions with Rick Rude and Mr. Perfect. But he never, ever, ever managed the World Heavyweight Champion. He always fell short. He always was the guy who had the challenger to beat Hogan or Savage or whoever it was. But he never managed to manage the champion all the way up until Ric Flair right at the end. That was like the end of his career. So that whole run up until then, like six years, he never got to manage the champion. Like So that was really cool. So would that be because the champion would have been... A face. Yes, and it was Hogan was the champion. So, right, you know. Who would never give up that title. Hogan held the belt for like five years or thereabouts, yeah. so yeah. One thing they talk about a lot in this particular documentary is the fact that pretty much every single wrestler, no, every single wrestler, they said, who he managed benefited from it. There was, everyone did better off from his management. Mm. Like both during him during his management itself and then at the end afterwards when he stopped managing them. They all reached higher heights than they would have done without his help. And not many managers, I think, if any manager can say that because like Heyman, we talked about Heyman as a great manager, but when Heyman was put with certain, like he was put with Curtis Axel, he was also put with Cesaro, he was put with guys who then retrospectively people were like, oh, I don't know, he shouldn't have been put with them, it didn't yeah. really work. Whereas Heenan seemed to have a much higher success rate with those guys, even guys who could talk like Rick Rude and Mr. Perfect and Rick Flair and Nick Bockwinkle, who you would kind of go, well, they have no business having a manager, they can talk, you don't need a mouthpiece, but Bobby would find a way you know, with Ric Flair, he was the executive consultant. You know, with Mr. Perfect, they would say things together. They'd like, you know, nobody could beat Mr. Perfect. And they both turned to the camera. Nobody. nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd always find a way to enhance them. One of the things I was really impressed about with regards to the fact that he managed so many different people at once was the fact that, like, you don't get that. in like in like Ever since I've been watching wrestling, I've never seen a manager manage so many wrestlers that have wrestled all kind of at the same sort of time yeah like like, independently of each other yeah so like these days for example like Tyson O'Neill if we give him as an example now obviously he is a wrestler as well but he manages what Dana well not anymore Dana's no longer with him so but at one point he was managing Dana and Apollo Crews I guess yeah yeah um and there was someone else he was managing at one point was there yeah Akira Tozawa was was in Titus Worldwide as well but there was never a point where all these people individually were wrestling matches and Titus would accompany them. Instead, yeah. it would be Titus is either wrestling or Titus is the one being spoken to and he's bringing along all his clients. Yeah, that's one act, yeah. which is also firmly way down the cards. Yeah, bundled yeah. together and not given any real importance at all. Whereas Bobby Heenan, accom- he makes it about the wrestler and mm. he accompanies the wrestler and makes his then character lean into the wrestler's gimmick rather than making it all an umbrella even though it's like the Heenan family it mm. wasn't like all the wrestlers were made to dress up as Heenan and act like Heenan yeah they didn't all come out at the same time no. rarely if ever did the Heenan family come out together he would mould himself on the wrestler and what they Ooh, needed yeah. not the other way around and the fact that you said that he came out like two or three times in one Wrestlemania yeah there's one I think people. the Wrestlemania where he wrestles Terry Taylor it's like he's out managing then he's out wrestling a match and then he's out managing 
Division again later. It's Amazing. Like, you know, Heyman at like WrestleMania 27 or I think WrestleMania 28 or 9, Heyman, like, he managed CM Punk and he managed Brock Lesnar. And people were like, whoa, that's crazy. A manager doing two big matches like that. It's like, Heyman did twice that, mm-hmm. like three times that sometimes. I would love to see that happen today. Is there any manager who's good enough, though, to do that? Or yeah. who? I think Leo Rush is good enough. Yeah, he's down. I wouldn't want him to do it at the moment because I think the stuff he's doing currently in end of 2018 with Bobby Lashley is on point. Mm. But yeah, I think he's good enough. And there's lots of people who would be good enough. It's weird, though, to envision that when they still, even now when they're bringing back managers a little bit, they still are notably apprehensive about the use mm. of managers. It's still not a done thing. Like I think Zelina would be a great yeah. manager to kind of shape on those different roles yeah. and manage a few different people at once. That's a really, really good idea, actually. Yeah, I'd love that. So, we have to talk about it now. It's probably my favourite thing to do with Bobby Heenan. And I know it's very, very close to talk between this and his commentary, but this edges it out for me because I thought, what a weird thing this is. I'm not sure if Joe will get her head around it. And it felt like this was the most like welcoming with open arms. Come in and enjoy this lovely little bit of wrestling past. Let's talk a little bit about primetime wrestling with Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I can't believe that this is a thing that existed. So what is this? To explain this, give it, elevator pitch this for the new fans. It took me ages to really realise what it was supposed to be because all the clips I have seen, you know, from people sending in stuff was kind of out of context clips. Like there was one of, of Bobby Heenan trying to eat a birthday... No, it wasn't a birthday cake. Trying to eat a uh, an anniversary cake yeah. with Gorilla Monsoon and... Bobby Heenan keeps talking about how he got to save the cake because he's got friends upstairs. Yeah, the who, big party's upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Not only all the cake, it's a massive cake. Like, literally probably 50 people would and have And he's cutting the old outside slices for the people in the yeah. studio. Because like, he's got the, the party rest, upstairs. Yeah, like, yeah. for him. <laughs> um, but basically, primetime wrestling seems to be like a variety wrestling sketch show slash interview show slash morning TV yeah, it's like... I don't know, it's so... It's really strange. The two Ronnies, kind of. Yeah. A little bit that. Abbott and Costello, a little bit. I mean, it's very interesting because there's a lot of wrestlers who are very open about like their comedic influences and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, William Regal, for instance, he's a wrestler who would you know make note of a lot of classic British comedy, like Dudley Moore and stuff that inspired him, or Peter Cook, and that's stuff that he brought into his, you know, his comedy and wrestling. Whereas with Heenan, I've not heard him talk about comedic influences, but obviously stuff like Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, The Three Stooges, that all comes out. Because it's this classic, wholesome, borderline vaudeville in its purest comedy silliness. Just two guys talking about the wrestling that's on, and in between, there's goofs and spoofs. You wouldn't even know it was a wrestling show, really, to watch it. And that's the thing, I can't really believe that it exists, because it is, it's a... It's a wrestling variety show. Mm. So they show like highlight clips from matches that have happened recently and they'll bring on wrestlers sometimes to do interviews and stuff. But it's like, it's all comedy. It's yeah. all spoof. There's a bit where they go to the zoo. Yeah, they, they always go on adventures as well. <laughs> like, so there's like no wrestling. So here's some of the places where we watch clips from. Uh, they went to the zoo to go and feed the animals. And of course, Gorilla Monsoon has uh, a great kindred spirit with the animals. And he's like feeding this giraffe, like hand feeding him. He's like, oh, look at this guy, Brain. And then the Brain's like scared of all the animals. And like an ostrich is squawking at him. He's like, ah, you know. <laughs> 
I mean, Gorilla Monsoon, you'd heard a little bit of the commentary, but, mm. I mean, w- describe Gorilla Monsoon and what you thought of him in this role. Well, I mean, before we did this episode, I don't think I'd really come across him at all. I, like, I'd heard of him, I'd seen a picture of him, maybe watched a couple of clips. His voice, he would have been commentating mm. on, say, some of the Macho Man matches that we watched, yeah. for instance, and he would have been on the Royal Rumble as well with, uh, with Heenan. And honestly, I didn't think much of him. It- like, out of the context of this kind of episode that we did. He's very, like, default wrestling announcer he comes across a lot of the time. It's very easy to kind of... You look at him, he's, he looks a bit like a like a darts commentator. <laughs> like, he's got the, the dark shades on, he's got the bow ties. Former darts player turned commentator. Yeah, obvi- yeah obviously. <laughs> and he's got uh, an endorsement from, like, Ladbrokes or something yeah. like that, you know. And yeah, he's wearing his uh, like smoker's jacket type thing. He's he's got a very classic look, and he's yeah. got a very classic voice. Like if you think of Vince in the early days of like the WWF, when Vince would be on commentary, that kind of hello, ladies and gentlemen, today we're gonna be. Blah, 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 blah. You pointed that out to me, and now I can't unhear it because you've said you know your favorite commentator is really enthusiastic Vince. Yeah, and hearing quite early enthusiastic Vince from the late eighties. He is just trying to provide continuity from you're yeah. used to Gorilla Monsoon going, hello everyone, once again! You know, and it, you know, I'm, when you do that voice, it's like, it could be Vince, it could be Gorilla. Yeah. Like, he is trying to parrot that style, mm-hmm. and that's really cool. But the real magic of Gorilla Monsoon, like, he is great on commentary. I, I, I do like his voice a lot, and I really like his style, but the magic of him is how likable he is. Yeah. And you don't get to see that obviously when he's on commentary because he's he's more of the kind of the play-by-play commentator mm. and on primetime wrestling you've got him playing off against bobby heenan and they're obviously such good friends in real life like they're constantly corpsing like they're yeah. the right to well let's say constantly corpsing makes it seem like it's all over the they're place just, like having so much fun there's a twinkle in their eye yeah. constantly yeah even though they're being horrible <laughs> to each other and so gorilla monsoon kind of plays the straight guy and Bobby Heenan is just the the, the villain. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you've got the cases where, like, they're trying to raise money for a charity. Um, and Gorilla Monsoon, he's put together, you know, quite a bit of money, you know, being very generous. Bobby doesn't want to get his wallet out until the ad break because he doesn't want anyone to see how little he's going to contribute. He's got, like, $3. He's like, I had $90,000 in here. <laughs> I don't know if, some, if someone's listening. I must have been mugged, yeah. <laughs> um, great section as well where it's uh, every Christmas they exchange gifts. Oh, precious. <laughs> and Gorilla Monsoon, like, he obviously, like, has, you know, spent ages thinking about this gift he's going to get for Heenan. It's, like, this um, really great gift. It's, like, super personalised, like, gold-plated, whatever it was. It's, like, a tacky, gaudy telephone, because Heenan, during primetime, he's often on the phone, like, doing a bit of comedy. So it's kind of, like, to replace the phone, give him this nice new phone. Yeah, yeah. it's a really thoughtful gift, and also of, of quite high value as well. And then he's like, uh, "So, Bobby, what did you what did you get me then?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't want to show. Oh, I won't show it to you just yet. You know, don't don't open it now. Take it home and you know, open it on Christmas Day." And he's like, "No, no, no. I want to I want to appreciate it and show you my thanks and really so you can see my reaction on how much I love this gift." And he opens it up and it's just like. It's just like sachets he's nicked from like hotel bars and it stuff. It looks like, like hand soap and little body lotion. And, but like and a full box of it. Loads, yes. I mean, he, he went he went to town like, if you're going to steal someone some, holo- some hotel, you know, bits and bobs, he's done a good job. The only yes. thing he didn't give him was the Bible from the drawer. Like, yeah. It was incredible. But then, of course, Gorilla Monsoon wants his gift back because he's uh, you know put a lot of thought and money into it and he's offended that Heenan would dare insult him with such a pathetic gift. And they've just got such a great chemistry, like, 
Gorilla Monsoon is this lovely guy. He's very sensible. He's hardworking and kind. And Bobby Heenan is the opposite of that. Yeah, it's like two fun wrestle dads. Yeah. Or like two fun wrestle uncles. Yeah. There's that kind of a wholesome vibe to it. Total odd couple. The few of these I have to mention because they're just absolute classic. The one where they do the whole Wild West shoot where Bobby Heenan is like the director. That out of... Is that what was happening? Yeah. Like, they showed a bit in the documentary and it just seemed like Bobby Heenan getting shot multiple times. <laughs> Being shot and exploded. Exploded by Falling bombs. off the roof and stuff like that. Amazing. There's one, they had the Halloween special where uh, Bobby's dressed up as the big boss man. He's got like the hat and the big sunglasses and Gorilla Monsoon's wearing this giant gorilla costume and a big gorilla mask, a big rubber gorilla mask. <laughs> He just goes, well, I dressed up in costume. Why didn't you put one on? (laughs) And they spent the whole show with uh, Monsoon behind the mask. And then right at the end, they have him take off the mask. It's not even Gorilla Monsoon. It's someone else. Like, do the silly gimmick. Like, that. you know, he didn't spend the whole night talking to someone else. Like, you just happened to sound like him. Uh, one of my personal favourites was seeing Bobby Heenan ride around on a very tiny bicycle and then hit a wall and do like a forward front flip. An amazing sell on the little bike uh, when they're on a boat together going fishing. Oh, that was so good. They're sitting on these rickety little chairs, like wooden chairs, and they're on this very heavy sea boat that's being tossed around everywhere and they're wearing little party hats. The other time when Andre the Giant is having a special training camp in rural Grenoble, France, and Bobby Heenan has promised an exclusive interview and a look at the camp. So him and Gorilla Monsoon walk through rural France, getting continually lost on grainy footage. And like it's obvious that Bobby Heenan doesn't know where it is. And you've got like Gorilla Monsoon going, You promised me lunch, brain! You just gave me a bunch of bananas! What are you doing? <laughs> And he's like, just just calm down. We're going to be there in a second. It's like the Blair Witch Project, basically. Yeah. Like, you know, where are the bananas? I threw the bananas in the river. They haven't done shit all day. <laughs> uh, another great bit where they're kind of just sitting by a pool that Bobby Heenan claims is his. Yeah, they're in Caesar's Palace for WrestleMania 9, which is like a giant resort and complex in Las Vegas. It looks like a house of... Like the richest gangster in the world might live in. Yeah, it's like where they cut to in Breaking Bad when yeah. they have the cartel guys. It's this absurd, giant, obviously not a house, big mm. ass palace. And they're like, yeah, we're just sitting here poolside in my home. And it's like, come on, bring this is in your home. It's Caesar's Palace. It's like, well, obviously it's not my home. I just, this is illustrative of my home. And obviously mine's a lot bigger than this. So, you know? <laughs> and it just reminded me of like, you know, Alan Partridge trying to pretend the stately home was, uh, was Bono's house. Like, walking around, Bono? <laughs> But yeah, I didn't see them at any point sit anywhere which was remotely connected to professional wrestling. Um, Bobby Heenan getting a massage. And then like, it's like this lady who's doing it. It's like, come on, you can do a little rougher than that. And then <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon just comes in and starts like, punching him in the back of the head. It's like, come on, take it easy. <laughs> a little bit easier than that, please. Oh man, everything from cake in the face to you know him on the phone constantly where he's like you know i told you shut up i told you all right get off my back i told you i get you those goddamn tickets all right stop handing me all right love you mom talk to you later (laughs) they are so at ease with each other and you said to me like we were watching this twice and they're this in wrestling and i don't know why it's like that that's what's missing i honestly think that's like the number one thing that is missing from wrestling right now and it's like i always assumed that the reason wrestling wasn't as funny today as maybe it was in the attitude era was maybe because like it was kind of comedy and wrestling maybe was invented in the attitude era and now we're trying to move away from that 
But it's not. It was around in the 80s. It was so funny. Like, honestly, I think mm. this era of wrestling is, like, the funniest. It puts the Attitude Era to shame. Because, like, most of the humor in the Attitude Era is a bit horrible, to be honest. Yeah, and it's kind of... You couldn't sit down and watch a whole, you know, slew of comedy from the Attitude Era. It's not clever. Yeah, and also as well, I mean, it's it's here and there, you know? It's not, you know, the, the show gets very dramatic at times and, you know, very crazy and over the top. And it's not to say things don't get dramatic during, you know, the 80s, but when you've got heat on commentary, for instance, you're guaranteed, if the match ain't good, you're going to have a few laughs at least. Yeah. You never had that with, like, say, JR and King on commentary. You know, King might make a silly remark. He probably won't make you laugh. It'll probably make you cringe or go, yikes. Or JR's response might make you laugh. Yeah. But Heenan was constantly finding ways when he was on commentary, you know, with Gorilla Monsoon particularly, to work humor in there. Some people thought it was to the detriment of the show, all of this humor. I think it makes it, like, really special to go back and watch. Yeah. Because I can go back and watch stuff from the 80s and be like, you know what, maybe not necessarily going to be everyone's cup of tea in terms of the style of wrestling. Or maybe even some of the characters. But man, primetime wrestling. Sit down and watch like a 20 minute best of, of oh, that. Oh, fantastic. You'll be on the... You, honestly, I've not laughed this much at wrestling in years. The thing is as well, which I don't understand why they don't do something like this today, is this is the kind of stuff that gets new fans interested in wrestling. Yeah. Like, primetime wrestling, you could show it to someone who's literally never watched a second of wrestling in their life and they will enjoy it just as much. It's so... Just it's accessible and funny. Yeah, it's just like that late night formula. They yeah. bring on guests to talk about their angles. Sometimes it'd be serious. You know, sometimes they got really intense angles. Would be on that show. A lot of times it would just be like a bit of fun. Like I mean, I know actually we came across Heaton as well when we did the. Uh, I think it was on our Christmas episode where he like pretended to be Santa Claus and then was like, "Hey kids." Santa, he ain't real. And then Robbie Piper's like, listen to me, Bobby. You don't talk about Santa Claus like that. Now, come on now, Bobby. It's a complete shoot. Like, it's the most despicable thing ever. Primetime wrestling, something you're a big fan of. Renee Young has talked about, say, she, one of her dreams is she'd love to do, like, primetime wrestling. Or, like, you know, the, the thing that Vince did was Tuesday Night Titans, where he was, like, kind of the Johnny Carson in the seat, and he'd bring out the guests like that. But if we were to bring back primetime wrestling, the, what duo would you like to see on screen? So you say Renee, she's a primetime wrestling fan, would oh, like yeah. to do it. She said that, Brilliant. like, she tweeted recently about, like, both primetime and Tuesday Night Titans. Like, it's her dream to do, like, an episode of that, like a revival or something, you know, for, for the network. It would be great. Brilliant. I would absolutely, I would kill a person to watch that. <laughs> I, I would. I'd, I'd kill them. I need that in my life. Who would you, who'd you book to be I'd on primetime? I'd book Renee, because I think it's important to have someone who is a big fan of, of primetime wrestling and what like gets the point of it and yeah. understands why it's funny and why we should have that. Mm. And I'd probably put her, because I think, I'm out, I'm, maybe I'm not giving her enough credit, maybe it's just because I've not seen her in this type of role. I don't know how good she would be at sort of the colour commentary type yeah. of style. So I'd put her as a play-by-play, like Gorilla Monsoon-esque yes. role. And then I would maybe put her up against, like, I'd put her against probably Corey Graves to play Ooh. that kind of a bit mean Bobby Heenan type That would be role. interesting. I mean, I was going to say Corey Graves definitely because Corey Graves, if you listen to him on commentary, he's obviously a Bobby Heenan fan. Yeah. And, like, what set him apart when he went on commentary in NXT from the get-go was, you know, saying things like shut up Saxton and, like, being, you know, enamored with certain wrestlers and you're absolutely hating, unquestionably, he hates the drifter, he hates him, yeah. I hate him so much. And, like, it, 
you know, he had a character in there. It was quite Heenan-like. I would honestly, if it wasn't him and Renee, him and Byron Saxon is the only other one because Byron has that kind of childlike innocence that I think Gorilla Monsoon has a bit <laughs> of. And I think it'd be really funny, like... I think, yeah, maybe Byron Saxon, like, 10, 20 years from now. Yeah, when he's grown up a little bit and moved out of his mom's house. Because I think <laughs> Byron Saxon, okay, I get what you're saying, that like he's nice, like, gorilla, but he needs... You need someone who can stand up to the colour commentator. Yeah, yeah. Like, the whole thing with the reason JR and Paul Heyman worked so well is that, like, Heyman, Heyman obviously tried to wind up JR, but JR would stand up to him yeah. and sort of cut him back down to size if he took it too far. You got the same with, obviously, with Heenan and Monsoon, because when Heenan would overstep the line, yeah. then Monsoon would always go, Will you stop? Or, <laughs> please be serious. Give me a break. Adam Bibolo. <laughs> <laughs> Will you stop very much the for fuck's, sake, for fuck's sake of its time? Yeah. <laughs> now, when we were watching this, you were like, oh, why didn't like Bobby get his own his own thing? And I was like, I, there was something. It was like, the, I remember they got his own show but it was really weird and kind of poorly conceived. They touched on it in the documentary, and I think it is up on YouTube, Mm. but the Bobby Heenan show, which ran for three episodes, and I think never really got a chance to find its feet, it doesn't work when Heenan's on his own in control, I don't think. No, he needs a straight man to play off, and I think the entire concept of the show as well was, I think, made by someone who, who thought that Bobby Heenan was very, very funny, but didn't understand why he's beloved. Vince McMahon, basically. Ah, yeah. Because Vince sense. McMahon reckons the funniest thing, because Bobby Heenan is funny and his put downs are funny, the funniest thing then is. Bobby Heenan putting down people. Yeah, so let's have a show with Bobby Heenan and we'll bring out loads of people, and under the guise of they're going to have a spot on this show, all these kind of. It was very like Tim and Eric like, and then he had these kind of like, eccentric kind of characters and performers and entertainers, yeah. and then you just put them all down. They were the type of people you could totally imagine finding on Craigslist or Gumtree or whatever. Like, Yeah, and I think, I don't know, 45 minutes of Bobby Heenan like constantly making fat jokes and yeah. stuff like that. It's just, with a live studio audience, it's just a bit strange. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's very ill thought out. Like, yeah. I think. Having him interview celebrities with a straight person to kind of tie him in and make sure he gets told off every so often. Mm. But like have him as the role of like, you're going to cut down all these celebrities because that's what people want to see. That's why it's so funny to watch him with Gorilla Monsoon is because quite often he's being horrible to like these wrestlers who can stand up for themselves. And it's the same kind of dynamic, I think, if you get him like with a celebrity rather than these poor people who are just trying to get some time in the spotlight. Yeah. And then just him calling them fat for an hour. Because his sidekick on it was a guy called Jameson. And Jameson was just like, hello, I'm Jameson. I'm a silly, wacky, nerdy character. And he'd like, you know, chew on his tie and have like, you know, broken glasses. And he was a real like crazy over the top cartoon character. So just another person for him to put down. Basically. So yeah, you've got a Keenan. He's meant to be playing off instead of a straight guy. It's like, you know, an even wackier person. It just, it doesn't work like that. And because Heenan wasn't an angry character, like, it's not like a John Glee's Faulty Towers thing where you get an angry wound-up character surrounded by wackier people and it winds them up. He's meant to be kind of silly. So the dynamic didn't work, I read. I mean, him with Mean Gene as his sidekick. Yeah, I think that would be great. I thought it could be great. Okay, here's how I would actually pitch it. I would put Mean Gene as the host of the show, as Mm. the interviewer, supposed to be like, you know, the play-by-play, asking all the leading questions, everything. I'd do it kind of similar to Conan O'Brien. Oh, right. Mean Gene would be the interviewer, and then I'd have Bobby Heenan on the couch with the celebrities doing the... Oh, Andy Richter type. Andy Richter type, yeah. yeah, Put-downs, occasional jokes, colour commentary type role. Make Vince McMahon uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) So Bobby did transition away from being a man 
manager into being a commentator. So he did still do some managing here and there. Like he managed Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect while still doing some commentary duty. But Bobby absolutely, he was so great as a commentator. Like Jesse the Body Ventura is kind of noted as being the first kind of heel color commentator. But as much of a fan of Jesse Ventura that I am, and I am a massive fan of Jesse Ventura. Like his, some of his commentary makes me absolutely crack up because he is the big macho wrestler and being very insistent and the dynamic with him was that he'd always kind of try and bully Vince McMahon a little bit whereas Bobby being slightly more comedic and less aggressive and being kept in place by Gorilla Monsoon it's absolute magic and I think it's aged a lot better Mm. a lot of the quotes that we got in from Bobby on commentary just had me in absolute stitches (laughs) they're so good Bobby Heenan is commentator. We've seen a few matches with Bobby on commentary, but the greatest thing was that we got a shed load of tweets from people using the hashtag HowToBobbyHeenan, and a lot of the people who were tweeting in just wanted us to know about quotes. And like, I know, for instance, I knew this episode we'd struck gold straight away when like the first one you read, you were laughing for fucking ages, which was about Hogan's entrance music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he says... That's my second favourite song. And Gorilla Monsoon says, I'm almost afraid to ask, what's your favourite? And Bobby Heenan says, all the rest are tied. (laughs) I like a man who hates Hulk Hogan. Oh, that's the best thing about Heenan, right? Heenan hated Hulk Hogan from his entire career. His gimmick was that he hated Hulk Hogan. And the best thing about it is that even when he was in WCW and Hogan became Hollywood Hulk Hogan and joined the NWO and became a heel... Heenan straight away was like, I told you all, I've been sitting here for 10, 15 years saying that man's a snake in the grass and that you can't trust him. And then he's selling you all down the river. And the first chance he got, he did it. And he, he, he was, he managed to not become a face by Hogan being healed because he was so obnoxious. He was like, I told you, you shouldn't trust Hogan. <laughs> I told you, I told all of you. I love that so much, the continuity there. <laughs> Professional Hogan hater. I think you're the spiritual successor to Bobby Heaton in that regard, Joe. <laughs> so this one's from uh, the Royal Rumble 92. Gorilla Monsoon says, uh, we've only got one entry left. No secret involved here. The guy who drew 30 is going to be coming out in five seconds. It'll be no surprise. It's the Warlord. And Bobby says, but you never know. And the buzzer sounds. And Gorilla says, what do you mean you never know? And Bobby says, you know what Tony and the WF will pull on you. Gorilla says, it could only be one guy. And Bobby says, as the warlord enters the aisle, I told you, the warlord, I was right. I knew it. I was right. <laughs> it's so basic, so much of his humor, where it's like him, like, saying something completely opposite of what he's saying and then being like, I told you. Like, just like I said, what did I tell you? Like, I knew. <laughs> like, his, in Bobby Heenan and Kayfabe, the greatest victory for him ever could be, I told you so. Yeah. Like, that is, it's like, again, like Alan Partridge. Needless to say, I had the last laugh. I told you so. I was in the know all along. I've not been made a fool of. You're, yeah. you're misunderstood. Which is such an unlikable trait. It is. So he will never accidentally become a face. No. Because, like, <laughs> you, you can't. With that attitude, people will just hate you. <laughs> Shawn Michaels pokes Duggan in the eye. Heenan says, that's a difficult move. He's only got a 50% chance of hitting the good eye. <laughs> right, speaking of Hacksaw Jim Duggan, it's not necessarily a commentary quote, but it's a moment, a long moment of commentary where Jim Duggan is in the ring in WCW and Tony Schiavone just fucking filling time with a nothing phrase as a very intelligent competitor there is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And how long does Heenan laugh for? Five minutes. It's the entirety, actually longer than the entirety <laughs> of the match. 
he just lost. I was just skipping through. I didn't watch the whole thing. But every point I skipped to was just Bobby Heenan just cackling and Tony Schiavone just getting more and more frustrated. You're really earning your money here tonight, Bobby, huh? Ha, ha, ha. He is intelligent. <laughs> Anytime a heel would cheat, he would uh, claim that his monitor had, uh, had gone out. That's a great. The cheating is uh, leads to one of my favourite Bobby Heenan quotes of all time, which is, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. I love that. The follow-up from, what the hell, use the bell. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, as we said earlier, sometimes I think he'd take it a little bit far. Mm. And this one is a bit cruel, I think, especially having done our episode on Roddy Piper and just hearing... Oh, Jesus, I remember this one now. Yeah, yeah this one is fucking biting. Which, like... You know, at the time, people wouldn't have realised just... They might have heard a bit here and there and gone, ha this is funny. But like, okay, if you've listened to our episode on Roddy Piper, you've heard about his upbringing. It's fucked, right? It is the most, like... It's the most tragic and most difficult upbringing of like anyone in wrestling that we've we've come across. And that's saying something. No child should ever have to go through what Roddy Piper went through yeah. in his youth. It's, it's horrible. Bobby Heenan says, I heard a rumour that your mum and dad ran away from home. Ah, God! That is so... Uh, it's giving me, like, whatever the opposite of goosebumps are to my skin retract into my body. It's fucking... Yeah. That is so horrible. It's so cruel. Because he makes, like... There's certain people who he always, like... Or the, the targets of his jokes, like, uh, Stu Hart. He would fucking yeah. rag on him. There's a lot of stuff about the Hart family, which is a bit too cruel for my taste. I think with Bobby Heenan, if you're a promoter, there's not... Like, there is no way... Like, if you're a promoter or a top star... What what have I got to lose from saying something nasty about you? You're the promoter. You're the top star. You're fine. You don't you don't need to worry about this. But let me tell you about Stu Hart. Horrible comment about him and his wife. Oh, like him and his kids. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Jesse Ventura would usually come in with kind of a broad blast of like just general kind of xenophobic or just like horrible kind of like oh that speaks badly of the time. He had this like insider like. Oh, the more I, I don't like that I know this much about wrestling. Like, this is the kind of thing, like, where you learning about Roddy Piper makes any instance of him and, com- and Piper and commentary together makes it a little bit tense. Yeah. So this is a funny one, though. Cleanse the palace. Cleanse the palace. <laughs> well, somewhat. <laughs> you don't have to yell at me. I'm not blind. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, the interview between him and, and, and Monsoon. He would get so worked up. There was a great clip that they showed, which is, like, Monsoon just screaming, You're a liar! And then him coming back going, I'm not a liar! I'm a broadcaster! You're a liar! I'm a financial advisor! You're a liar! You're not gonna get... You're not gonna get me upset! I'm not gonna get upset! You will never see me lose my cool! He's, like, crying like... This is my personal favourite. Two things that scare me most about wrestling fans is that they're allowed to vote and allowed to reproduce... (laughs) Yikes! Fucking hell! Cutting. We've got a shitload more of Bobby Heenan quotes. Some of your faves we'll read out when we're talking through or tweets. But I mean, like that's the great thing about watching a bit of random wrestling from back then. Popping on like a random Survivor Series or SummerSlam or whatever from like you know early nineties, like ninety to ninety three. You're gonna get Heenan on commentary. You're gonna get some big stars, and you're gonna end up laughing a lot. Like because even if what you're watching is like. Oh, God, yeah, I don't know if I want to watch the Warlord and fucking, you know, British Bulldog have a full Nelson contest, just two men hugging each other. But Bobby will make you laugh. And, like, he'll know 
when it's the downtime. You'll never be doing a joke when it's the big hope spot or the big finish. It'll be when someone's in a fucking headlock for the 90th time. And, you know, the wrestlers from back in those days, Joe, it's not necessarily the fastest stuff in the world. It can be muscly statues slowly mm-hmm. careening around the ring. And it's a welcome respite, a little bit of mystery science theatre from, from Bobby the Brain Heenan. You say that he always knows the right time to crack a joke. Oh, but yeah. I don't think everyone would agree with that. Yeah, we've had some kind of tweets to that effect, and this is what I'm interested to talk about. There's a moment where Shawn Michaels, Sweet Chin Music's the... Michael Gennetti, is it? Marty Gennetti. Marty Gennetti. Who was his tag partner. It's kind of, it's a big, big moment. When we do our HBK episode, it'll, it's kind of, it's one of the big character moments for Shawn Michaels. He breaks away from his tag team and becomes his own guy. So it's like, pretty important. It's like, that's the equivalent for Shawn Michaels of when Seth Rollins hit Dean and Roman in the back. It's like the big, big moment. Yeah. Heenan says, oh, I knew he was going to do that. I just knew he was going to do that. He don't need Gennetti. I told you that on and off. And that's literally seconds before he's saying, two is better than one, what a great tag team, you always got to stick together. Yeah, Monsoon says, are you kidding? What a despicable act that was. And then Heenan says, Janetti tried to dive through the window to escape, you see that? Monsoon says, are you blind? Heenan says, what an act of cowardism. Now that is hysterically funny. So, yeah, I'm in kind of two minds about that, because I know a lot of people think that that ruined the dramatic moment of Shawn Michaels betraying his tag team partner. But, on the other hand, it is considered now such an iconic moment in wrestling that a lot of wrestling fans will just tell you that he did actually try and escape by crashing through a window. (laughs) It's sad because it's like, you know, Marty's, Gennady's career didn't necessarily go the same way as Shawn Michaels did. So it's kind of... It's one of those things that in retrospect, because Sean became such a big star and Gennady's career didn't come close to that level of stardom, that's kind of like a, haha, he knew that this is kind of the end of Marty or Marty's not going to rise above this much more. But like, I just kind of keep thinking back, like, imagine when Seth hit Roman and Dean in the back with the chair and you got you know, Roman doing the big sell, drops to his knees, like tears in their eyes. And if, say, Corey Graves or Michael Cole went, ah, I knew he was going to do that. What did I tell you? You know, what an act of cowardice, yeah. Roman, you know. See, it, I do think that would, would kind of ruin it. So, yeah, I But don't know. it's not necessarily fair because this is in a time when you had Heenan on commentary making quips and cracks all the time. You knew that it's just, oh, come on, stop trying to ruin this moment, Bobby Heenan. Whereas wrestling is on commentary a lot more serious now. I don't think anyone would dare say something like that. So mm. it's not necessarily a fair, fair comparison almost. Yeah, I don't know. The other one was when Hogan turned heel at Bash at the Beach and became Hollywood Hulk Hogan when he comes out before he does the turn before he turns heel Bobby screams but whose side is he on? which everyone says oh he ruined the surprise I don't understand because when Hogan comes out he's like who's he going to help the good guys or the bad guys you're not meant to think that you're meant to think oh Hogan's coming out to help the good guys right, and is saying but whose side is he on is kind of almost like mm-hmm. telegraphing it going to happen but that's not a joke I don't know I just think it's maybe people being quite overly critical of some random lines of commentary. I don't know. I can kind of see where people are coming from with that respect. Like, it does seem like Bobby Hayden maybe sometimes doesn't know when to shut up. I think there are people on commentary who bring a lot of gravitas to certain moments. Like, JR is, I think, the most iconic in terms of that. Like, you know, his famous lines with with Mick Foley falling through the cell. He comes out with these lines that make the moment very impactful and feel very dramatic and very iconic. And... I don't see Bobby Heenan pulling that off. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's that's never his role, no, I no, guess, no, I'm was not it? Yeah, that is his role. But I'm saying the importance, I think, of having a commentary team is having someone who can do those dramatic moments very seriously, yeah. and someone else who can bring brevity to a maybe a situation that needs it. It's, it reminded me a lot of the episode of Seinfeld where George realizes that leaving on a high is the best because you know he makes a really funny joke and everyone's he has the room in stitches <laughs> and then he goes for another one and everyone's like, hmm, you shouldn't have, you know, that undoes the first joke. So he's kind of <laughs> heening basically and randomly on comedy just go, I'm out and walks off and that would be great, you know, and then you can leave on a high. That yeah. would have worked for him. Some highlights from Heenan during his later tenure in WWE. We had to show Joe Bobby Heenan trying to sneak into the premiere episode of Monday Night Raw with convincing disguises. Well, first of all, he just tries to walk in and he gets stopped by the interviewer. Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan. Then he comes back dressed as an old woman. Very convincing. Yeah, he went all in. He had the the earrings, he had the rouge, the lipstick. Yeah. You know? He looked good. And then again, the guy pulls off the wig. Bobby Heenan. The fact that he only realises, like, wait a minute. Only when his disguise is pulled off. That large Bobby Heenan-shaped wooden is actually Bobby Heenan. And then a Bobby Heenan-shaped Jewish man comes up to the queue. And again... This beard is pulled off. Yeah, and even Heenan. after the beard is pulled off, he goes, it seems you're having some trouble with your beard there, sir. <laughs> Wait a minute, Bobby Heenan! <laughs> a simpler time, Joe. It's quite Panto-esque in a way. It is. It That's really, Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not. So, yeah, look behind you type thing. I, I love it. <laughs> Bobby Heenan could have like he could have had a good run on the the panto circuit. I think. Oh, you know it. Can you imagine him as a panto dame? I mean, like, because panto doesn't really exist in America, does no, it? No, it doesn't. It's an art form that Bobby would have excelled in. Absolutely. Like. So Bobby was leaving around 1993, and I think something that a lot of people maybe didn't know at the time was that one of the reasons why Bobby transitioned away from being a manager onto commentary he actually broke his neck in like 1983 it was or something like that it was like way 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 back at the start of his career and way way back at the start of his tenure in WWE and he never had the surgery for it he was kind of putting it off and he took like he tried to take less and less bumps he was put with Ric Flair in like 1992 around 1993 which was kind of you know, well after he should have been doing physical stuff. And because Bobby liked to bump around as the manager, he ended up taking, like, a few really nasty bumps. You know, the Ultimate Warrior press slammed him once really unsafely and dropped him right on his, like, his shoulder and his back of his neck. And it was absolutely hideous. So I think one of the reasons why Bobby was leaving in 1993 was just that he was, you know, he was older. He was wanting to settle down and, you know, stop traveling all the time. And it was kind of in ways that he didn't think he was going to go do anything in wrestling. He wanted to act in commercials. He just was planning on leaving wrestling altogether. And, you know, much like being the nice guy that he was, he gave plenty of notice, made sure he wasn't stepping on anyone's toes. This is, of course, during the period where Hulk Hogan and you know, Randy Savage and the likes are popping over to WCW with, you know, not much notice at all and breaking Vince's heart. So we actually watched Bobby Heenan's departure from the WWE in 1993 on Raw, which is... Oh, it's one of those clips that works on many, many levels. It's kind of, it's funny and silly. It's very fitting and a little bit heartbreaking. Can you take us through Bobby's departure from Raw and from the WWE? I mean, I can kind of, but I feel like I'm missing a piece of information. Okay. So I know that Bobby discussed with Gorilla Monsoon beforehand that when he was going to leave, he wanted 
Gorilla Monsoon, his best friend, to be the one to kick him out of the show as the ruddy old heel that Bobby Heenan is. Which I, first of all, I think that's great. I really admire that. If you have the know-how to understand that to leave a proper impact as a character as a heel character is to be forcibly removed from the building yeah you don't want to have that kind of big tearful farewell like I want to thank all my fans and all that I think like Chris Jericho he said a while ago like there was a tendency with a lot of wrestlers heels particularly who when they are leaving it's like you know they'll put the character to one side and be like thank you so they can have the nice tearful farewell and he's like if you're a heel it should be like where did that guy go oh god he was a jerk I'm glad he's gone yeah (laughs) I, I completely agree and so, I mean, it's not really explained in the clips that we watched. It's not explained, like, what it is he did that's, like, the final straw. So he's on commentary on Raw, and he, he's given a kind of a trial on commentary. They try to replace him. He's brought back in. Ric Flair is gone. Mr. Perfect is also gone. So Bobby's on commentary, and Gorilla Monsoon is now the president of the company. This is before Vince McMahon on screen was acknowledged as being the owner of the company, so the WBF was this kind of ethereal organization that had a figurehead president. So Gorilla Monsoon was now the president, and he's like, right, Bobby, I'll give you one last chance to be on commentary, but if you start lying and you start getting up to your old tricks and insinuating things that didn't happen, you're going to be out in your ear. And Bobby, I think, lasted maybe one episode of Raw, and then it's like, out comes Gorilla Monsoon to read him the riot act and to fire him. He literally just comes out, grabs him, throws him out of the building with his stuff, and his stuff consists of a small bag. Well, I say small. It fits quite a lot of stuff in. It's really sad because the like, gorilla's huge. You like you now always see gorillas kind of sat down with Bobby, and when yeah. he's actually grabbing him by the scruff of the neck or pulling him by the ear, Bobby seems so small. He does this little guy, and he's basically like this whole time he's not done this, and he finally have crossed the line. He picks him up and fucks him out. Like and meanwhile, Bobby's begging to be let back in. He looks confused and sad, and he's trying to pick up all his belongings, which have all scattered throughout the car park. Most of which seems to be toilet roll he's stolen from the company. I love this recurring theme there, like of the weasel, yeah. like of you know stealing bits that are hand soaps that were flying around it was like obviously he had like a a plastic knife and fork my belongings my belongings (laughs) so it's kind of this very very silly and kind of like over the top you know he's falling over his bags trapped on his foot it won't come off he keeps tripping he insisted when they were doing it to do like you know the toilet roll and all that he said like that was an important part of it it's an important part and then it takes this like hard turn then like when bobby like realizes oh no i'm gone and you can tell it's it's not just the character. It's that he also is sad that he's gone. Yeah. And you see him kind of look back towards the building. He's got tears in his eyes. And then he gives it a salute. He walks off and like... he's gone. And that is a fitting end for a character. It's so... It's some great acting as well. It is, yeah. Because like, it starts off, it's so funny. He does. He's a master of slapstick humour. I, I, I'm such a fan of that style of physical comedy. Yeah. And the fact that he had me in hysterics with the tripping on the toilet paper and getting his foot stuck in the bag. And then literally, as soon as you turn around and see his expression, you feel really do feel for him. He is a master like of, of like emotion like mm. that. Like he, like very rarely someone who can make you laugh that much can make you feel sympathetic as well. There's a great clip that someone sent to us of, um, I don't know if it's primetime wrestling as well, it may have been, when Mr. Perfect oh, turns, God, yes. turns on Bobby Heenan. Absolute masterclass. Ends up like grabbing him from the scruff of the neck and pouring a jug of water on him and you've got Bobby Heenan like crying and begging and screaming and it's like it's horrible yeah, <laughs> it's really I mean, gut wrenching people 
often you know praises comedy so much that I think often can be left on the wayside is the fact that I mean I don't think you can be a successful manager or a person wrestling if all you can do is make people laugh mm. it only matters if you can make people laugh if you can also get those other emotions and yes he was probably the best manager or commentator in terms of eliciting that response but I struggle to think of anyone who could that quickly be like boom another I switched the uh, I flipped the switch and now you're scared for me or you find me despicable or you feel sympathetic towards me. Like Heyman can't even do that. No. If Heyman wants to make you sympathetic, he has to like fucking, you know, not, not shower sleep. for a week yeah. and not sleep and like come in like, you know. Like, Get actually beaten up by Brock Lesnar. Yeah, like with bloody nose. Like you're killing me. Like, you know, it, they've got my kids. It, it, it really is hard for some of those characters to get sympathy. But Bobby... Maybe it's because he's entertaining. You feel sympathetic for I don't for think him. it's just because he's entertaining. He really is. He's a great actor. He mm. really, really is. And the fact that he decided not to have that tearful goodbye in the ring. He he elected to ha- to be thrown out. But he still gets that emotional response from you as the audience going, oh, I'm really going to be sad to see him gone. And that salute that is both supposed to be a mockery from him. He's supposed to be kind of like doing it sarcastically. Yeah. But because of the fact that he's got tears in his eyes and you can see the longing in his face. He's going to miss it. He really is going to miss it. And he did. Like, that's, that's, that's the truth. Bobby planned on just kind of leaving and just taking a bit of time he wanted to do like acting work and stuff like that he was writing a book and whatnot the fact that he never managed to break into to acting and stuff like that was quite like surprising to me because I, I mean i do remember as a kid bobby heenan was in a commercial for the spider-man web shooters he was like an old a man reading a paper and the kid's like hey I take this old man he's like Wah! and he got sprayed with <laughs> with a uh, spider-man web and i thought jesus christ is that the best that someone who's a casting director could get for Bobby Heenan? Yeah, like, I know strange. he did some bits and pieces, but he wasn't in movies. He didn't do TV shows. He didn't do stuff like that. Like, I remember he when he, his book came out and he did, like, he did a few, like, daytime talk shows and they were all like, whoa, you're, like, really funny. <laughs> like, there was a bit where, where he's talking about his book and they're, and they're like, so, yeah, you know, you've taken a lot of bumps when you were doing this wrestling stuff, Bobby. He goes, yeah, I've been hitting the head so many times with a chair and my hair smells like ass. And <laughs> everyone laughs for like 10 minutes. And then the host has this like, why are you here? Like, why aren't you doing one of these? Like, why? why yeah. You, yeah. Honestly, I think that would have been, I, I don't think he should have necessarily gone into acting and stuff because like, yes, okay, he is a great actor, but his real talent lies in how quick-witted he is. Mm. And you won't get that in a scripted role. Yeah, it's true. In film or TV, you won't be able to tell, unless it's one of those kind of slightly more modern-day ones, but I think he'd have been before this time of allowing actors to do more improvisational comedy. Jesus Christ, Bobby Heenan, if podcasting was around in those days. Can you imagine? Literally make all other wrestling punditry obsolete. If he just did, like literally just him, maybe, like we were saying, a sort of straight guy co-host interviewing wrestlers or not even wrestlers like celebrities or whatever just talking yeah. just talking yeah. it would have been amazing so he ends up going to the other company he goes to wcw and kind of begrudgingly so he says the reason he did it was one they offered him a stupid amount of money they gave him like it's literally like the predatory kind of practice of wcw at the time they would find exactly what you wanted any of your hang-ups and they would tailor a contract to give it to you. If you're like a wrestler and you're sensitive about how you're booked, well, you got creative control. If you're Bobby Heenan and you don't want to go on the road, well, here's limited dates. You'll mostly be in Atlanta. Your daughter lives in Alabama for university. You're only like an hour or two away. Yeah. It's basically like they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Mm-hmm. Here's hundreds of thousands of dollars to be closer to your daughter and you can phone it in. 
and phoning in he did. Bobby was not a fan of WCW. I'm not surprised. Like, I'm horrified at the way they treated him. It sounds like an absolute joke. So, WCW's not necessarily known for treating its employees particularly well, at least those who aren't on the tippity-top of things, controlling everything from, from up on high. But Bobby Heenan... He didn't like how disorganized everything was. He's coming from WWE, where one of the things he loved most about about working there was the fact that everything was professional. Like, Bobby used to do a lot, like, when people were doing promos, he would do a lot of the directing and the producing on promos for other people. Wow. The fact that it was really kind of ramshackle, like in WCW. I remember Chris Jericho telling a story that one of the reasons why he was able to get so much promo time in WCW is that most of the top stars didn't show up for their scheduled promo times. It would, and no one would, would, would feel that they could tell them to. Like, Lex Luger had to go tanning, so Jericho got to do some promos instead because he didn't show up for his promos. Like, think about that. That wouldn't happen in WWE, like, ever. Like, you don't show up for your fucking job. Yeah, you're fired. Yeah, exactly. So Bobby kind of resented that. He didn't like the people he was commentating with, whether it was Tony Schiavone or Eric Bischoff or Mongo. He felt that they were often so ramshackled WCW not knowing what was going to happen they'd be like writing the show as it was going on oh and Bobby's God. like there's like they show clips where Bobby's literally like turning to the camera going someone in the back please tell us what the hell is going on because we don't know and we're live on pay-per-view and I don't know what match is next my format says it's this it's I think he's this is going like on TV like ridiculous. And I can totally see as well like how frustrating that would be because you look at Bobby Heenan's work and his commentary and everything like that and you can see that yes okay he is very good at improvisation but there are a lot of jokes there that would have been carefully written for particular situations yeah. that he would then wait for that particular perfect moment and then boom out comes this line he wrote maybe a couple of weeks ago you can't do that if your show isn't prepared in advance the resentment between bobby and tony particularly was palpable uh, bobby said in an interview since that uh, he didn't like tony Schiavone because he hated wrestling and he hated the wrestling fans and what because tony was the lead announcer he would get information in his headset which he's meant to relay to his to his announce team and he didn't do it. Oh, my because God. Because Tony, li- apparently, according to Bobby, Tony liked to know things which other people didn't, so he had a little bit of power and he had the control of the what situation. What a cool guy. What a nice, cool guy. But he's fun to be around. And that's why I haven't told you what we're talking about next in the episode. Mm. <laughs> Withholding information. Why would you do that? Do you want your show to be worse? Because that's what will happen. Yeah. And it did. They, they had multiple instances as well where they were just kind of borderline quite disrespectful to him like there was a rule in place which is you don't touch Bobby he's got neck problems he's not doing anything physical he's not an on-camera guy he's the announcer they did an angle with Brian Pillman who's meant to be the loose cannon and he runs over on pay-per-view and the first thing he does is he grabs Bobby Heenan and starts shaking him by the neck and Bobby Heenan just gets up and goes what the fuck are you doing understandably yeah but then Bobby Heenan is like, oh, old professional Bobby there saying the F word on TV oh my god now the clip that they showed, and I'm not sure if it rings true to people how horrible this is. I'm speaking from experience as one of my earliest memories, age three or four, being in a pharmacy with my parents and pulling down a bottle of perfume that opened up and spread all over my eyes and face and being in intense pain mm. all over my eyes, all over my face, my mouth, everywhere. I and bet. It was horrible. They dunk a bottle of cologne on Bobby Heenan the nitro perfume without telling him. I can't only imagine as well like how bad, like being sprayed with that would be bad enough. And like you think, oh, is he going to do, a, like they're about like, oh, we'll throw it on him, it'll be funny because he'll do a big flop sell. And he's just like going, ah! 
Like his eyes are just gone like, red. Wild like. idea, dear guys, but maybe like he could do like a funny flopping around reaction if you told him that's what you maybe wanted maybe. this section to be. I mean, you do get times where they would cut back and Bobby Heenan would have his back to the his back to the camera, like he would just be turned around, like and not care. And you know, you it was great because sometimes you would still get from Bobby hilarious commentary. And there's some moments like where he actually, like you were saying earlier, he managed to slip into the role of saying the really dramatic thing that actually fit the moment. Like Goldberg, a lot of his early run, Heenan, because he was so vehement about Goldberg was the man. And you know, this is Heenan as the heel would still say, I don't care what you think, Goldberg's the best. And that got Goldberg over a lot that Heenan was there saying, he's the man, you know, and that meant a lot. So his, his words carried weight. He... Ended up leaving WCW towards the end of his contract. They replaced him with a, a guy called Mark Madden, who I think has aggressively tweeted us once because we mentioned him on our commentary episode and he got angry about it. He well, likes our to, episode? Yeah, uh, he likes to Twitter search himself. I've, I've gotten angry mentions from, from him a few times. God, I don't even remember him. Thanks for the great content, Mark. <laughs> I don't remember him being angry about our podcast. Yeah, but he had his great catch. For, they, this is why they replaced Bobby Heenan. That they wanted a more MTV vibe to the WCW uh, show. So they brought Mark Madden and his catchphrase, Snoochie Boochies. What does that mean? It means that he's watched a Kevin Smith movie and hopefully you have too. Because Snoochie Boochies. What does it mean? Uh, Jay and Silent Bob used to, well Jay used to say it. It might to do with weed, I'm guessing. or What's the context of the situation wherein you would say this? He kind of goes, snooch to the booch. Uh, oh, when Stacey Keebler came out, he used to say snoochie boochie. So it's not about weed, it's about... I think it would be about ladies, I'm not sure. ladies? Maybe, maybe Stacey Keebler was high the whole time, we didn't know. Hmm. All I can say is, why would anyone replace Bobby the Brain Heenan, who you already have paid up on your contract, with a guy whose catchphrase is snoochie... Whose guy whose catchphrase is a catchphrase that Kevin Smith is even embarrassed about now. Think about that for a second. He's not embarrassed about anything. <laughs> Not embarrassed by calling his daughter Harley Quinn. Kevin Smith, who isn't even embarrassed of that time he tweeted, 10 years in and we bone like we're cheating on each other with each other. A decade plus and her clit slash brown slash taint area still pones my dick. Joe, did he use a zero instead of an O there? He used an O, yes, instead of a zero. Oh, sorry, it's, it's a capital O there. It's a capital O. Oh, but it's good to know that it's a big O there. Um, the worst thing ever written it in, is, in all of history. By context, Mark Madden is tarred by the same brush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Bobby, unfortunately, like WCW, like a lot of people went to WCW, it was a paycheck and maybe not their best work. But even still, if I turn on an episode of Nitro from you know ninety seven or ninety eight, I know I'm going to get it. You know, I'm going to laugh because Bobby Heenan's going to call Mikey Whipwreck, Mikey Sheep Dip, or something like that, or Mikey Shipwreck. And you know, he used to always just find ways to have fun with some of the characters. He wasn't asked back to WWE except for one occasion after WCW folded. They brought him back for WrestleMania seventeen when they did the big silly gimmick battle royale. They had Bobby Heenan and Mean Gene commentate it. Oh wow. And that was just great because the two of them were just having a lot of fun. Obviously very happy to be back and you know, they had such great quips like, you know, by the time the Iron Sheet gets to the ring it'll be WrestleMania thirty eight. <laughs> or when Duke the Dumpster Drozzy comes out he goes, Uh oh, it's a garbage man <laughs> That was my first exposure to Bobby Heenan as a kid because I had never seen any of the, the classic stuff and I thought he was hilarious. I loved him. I bet. And I was like, all right, time to see Bobby Heenan on TV. And he was never really brought back ever mm. other than his Hall of Fame induction in 2004 by which point he had already had like 
you know, quite a bad battle with cancer. And he'd had... Bobby was unfortunate in that his battle with cancer was around the larynx and his vocal cords oh, and his jaw. so horrible. And I remember, you know, when he did come back for his Hall of Fame speech, and he did, like, you know, he did a spot in TNA. He did, you know, he'd appeared, you know, doing shoot interviews and stuff. And I was thinking, like, God, he sounds so different. And I didn't know about mm. his diagnosis. I think Bobby had some pretty, like, trying surgeries and whatnot. You know, he had to have a portion of his jaw removed. Oh, God. He wasn't able to, to speak towards the end of his life. Mm. Um, you know, there were stories... You know, he would appear in he'd appear in the news on like you know, the wrestle sites and it would be like you know Bobby Heaton despite the fact that you know he's had a serious operation this week he's coming to meet fans at a fan expo because he just wants to get out there and meet people and he still loves meeting people and I think I mean I mean for instance Callum Leslie like he <laughs> he tweeted in like he met Bobby at one of the conventions a few years ago and like you know, Bobby couldn't speak at the time, and he just mentioned, you know, I've got this podcast, and Bobby says, oh, you, you indicated he had something to show for his podcast, and he took a picture just him giving them the finger. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, his, his spirit was still there. He was still very much Bobby Heenan, even though he obviously lost the thing that made him famous. He lost his voice in the end. But it was really sad not seeing Bobby back in any sort of a full-time or even a part-time capacity. We watched his Hall of Fame speech. Which again was classic Heenan. He had us completely on the floor laughing, you know, talking about the World Wildlife Fund and saying it was ridiculous that, you know, that they got the rights to WWF when you had a weasel and a gorilla on commentary talking about snakes and dragons and bulldogs and killer bees, you know. And then he talks about, you know, wishing Monsoon was here and then straight away, oh, like, it's so you know, touching. he's the he's the master of it. Like he just he can he can hold you in the palm of his hand. The um the clip we watched where he's is it. He's on WCW, and he says goodbye to Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah, it was after Gorilla Monsoon had passed. It would have been like 1999, where very much he was being screamed at in the headset, no, you're not talking about this. We don't talk about WBF stuff on this show. And he was like, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. Good for him. And it's great, because Tony Schiavone is like, well, there's something we both want to. Well, like, well, Bobby really wants to. It's like, stop fucking, you know, stop giving it asterisks. Mm -hmm. Just let the fucking man say what he has to say. And it's like, it's like two seconds long. He just says, yo, I want to say goodbye to my best friend. He was a massive con contribution to wrestling and yeah thank you for everything you've done he gives him a salute then and it's it's so hard to watch because like he's crying afterwards like he's trying not to be obvious about it but he is he's properly tearing up about the loss of his best friend and all the times we listen to him on commentary all the stuff we've watched from you know from from a primetime wrestling and all this segments and goose them together you were saying like from the get-go, it was always obvious that they had that really special relationship. You couldn't do what they did unless they genuinely loved each other. I think Gorilla and Brain might be my new wrestling OTP, which... I think, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. Sorry, Sorry. Macho Man and Mean Gene. <laughs> had a one-episode reign as the OTP <laughs> of wrestling. Like. <laughs> There's just one thing I wanted to touch on. Something which I was wondering if people were going to mention in the tweets. I think Kevin Chiat sent in a tweet to this effect about maybe the reasoning why Bobby wasn't brought back. This isn't the type of thing that I would even consider bringing up had we not done a whole episode about Vince and his mind frame and whatnot. And if this makes no sense, all I can say is maybe go back and check out the Vince episode and it might make some sense. But yeah, can you read out the tweet there? So this is from Kevin Chiat. He says, Insight into Vince's psychology. The fact that Heenan never trashed WWF or Vince while he was at WCW meant that Vince never felt the need to bring Heenan back full-time to show that he had won. Yeah, so there's this kind of theory with Vince, with a lot of the people who went to WCW, like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart. 
I will obviously exclude Randy Savage from that. You can check out our episode on that for, for more details as to why. But there's a thing with Vince, which is someone who's out there disparaging the company, disparaging Vince personally, talking about how much they hated it. Vince always brings those people back. And he loves that. And he loves to bring them back and have the big hug, the tearful reunion. Such a power move. It is. I mean, Kurt Angle, perfect example of that. I mean, I showed you some of the stuff that he said when he left. He was like, I signed a deal with the devil. And then Vince, of course, big open arms, tears streaming down his face. Now, Bobby made it a point, no more so than when he left AAWA, not wanting to disparage them and leave on good terms. When he went to WCW, because he was on commentary, where Eric Bischoff... And the likes used to say, hey, here are the spoilers for Raw. Here's the shit that happened on the other show, which you shouldn't watch. Bobby always refused to say any of that stuff. He would never join in. He would never bash the company at all. He never bashed Vince, never bash any of the stars. And this was during a time when WCW's like motto was, we make fun of WWE at any opportunity. And because he was so defensive of the company and didn't have any kind of bad blood... Yeah, Vince didn't bring him back. And many people think that's because Vince is like, well, Bobby, Bobby and me are okay. I don't need to have that power that's dynamic. That's so weird, though. Would you not want to bring him back because you've got a good relationship? Well, Does Vince only want to work with people that hate his guts? Well, that's the thing. It's like, there's a, obviously a hierarchy for Vince in hiring needs. And one of those is talent, skill, okay? And one of those is, needless to say, I had the last laugh. And it feels that, needless to say, I had the last laugh, takes precedent over that. Because why would you not bring in Bobby Heenan, at least to teach a commentator or an interviewer or just to sit behind the camera and produce just, or even for an appearance here and there. Two appearances between 1993 and his death. Like that's really sad. Really weird. Really sad. Just think how much he could have added if he had done like a coaching type role specifically for commentators. They could have done it as like a shoot off type thing that's eventually become NXT of like a training ground for that kind of role. He would have had so much to give in terms of like character development. Even just to sit him down in the studio and just say, let's just talk about something. So we have footage for, you know, documentaries and stuff for years to come. It's really sad that Bobby kind of. His illness took hold right when there was that big groundswell of lots of podcasts and lots of videos where we interview wrestlers and lots of shoot interviews and all that. That all kind of came after Bobby had kind of lost the ability to to take part in that stuff. The fact that Bobby Heenan got throat cancer is such a George R.R. Martin level of cruel irony. It's so cruel. It's horrible. It's, yeah. I don't even like to think about it in those terms. It makes me so fucking uncomfortable. It's really, really sad. But, like, I watched the kind of the the shoot interview, which I had watched way, way back in the day, and I rewatched it before this. He did in like 2001, 2002. And it's just kind of sad because they ask him about, like, hey, you showed up at WrestleMania 17. What was that like? And he's like, oh, man, I had such a great time because, you know, None of the people in the locker room I'd ever really worked with. And I got to meet so many great... I met the Dudley boys, they're called. And those guys were great. And it's just like, (laughs) oh my God, stop fucking teasing me now. Talking about like my favorite parts of wrestling all coming together. And it's just kind of like, well, I'm just sitting waiting for the phone to ring. Mm. And hopefully maybe something will happen. And maybe it's Vince as well. Doesn't, you know, Vince doesn't like sick people. You know, that could be it as well. And Bobby got his diagnosis quite soon after that. It's actually quite heartbreaking in that shoot interview. He's like, yeah, I'm with the doctors at the moment. I'm going to have to have something done. You know, and he doesn't kind of want to think or talk about it. And it's really sad. Yeah. But, you know, when Bobby passed in 2017, the outpouring of emotion and even just 
hey, when we posted up this episode, it was a shorter turnaround than most. And we got all these tweets which are just lavishing on praise and fond memories of Bobby Heenan. The only thing that surprised me most about that was the fact that, as you say, he's from an era slightly before you started watching. And I'd say most of our listeners as well maybe wouldn't have necessarily grown up at the peak of Heenan's yeah. time. But the fact that so many people, even still, are very, very aware of him and are big fans, like, he's managed to last so much longer than the era he was actually in. Like, yeah. He's had such a big impact. And I think because he's so funny and so entertaining, and he's very... He's very gifable, and he's also very easy to kind of cut down into funny little snippets. So in a modern world full of sharing things on social media and stuff, his legacy lives on actually far more effectively than a lot of others from his time. Yeah, honestly, a tweet thread of Bobby Heenan quotes, like, you know, that, that, that'll that sell you on the man, essentially. Yeah. Like, if you read, like, a few of those tweets or whatever, or someone just says, here's a great Bobby Heenan quote, immediately it's like, you get it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. We've had a long chat about Bobby the Brain. Let's try and weasel our way into checking out some of your tweets and your Facebook posts using the hashtag, hey to Bobby Heenan. I'll make a deal with you. If you apologize to me and start treating me For with... what? For all the abuse you've given me the last three years and treat me with a little respect, I won't get on your case about having this Tony Schiavone on all the time. Tony on Schiavone? Wrestling, on Wrestling Challenge. You snuck him What's wrong with Tony Schiavone? He isn't welcome. By whom? By He's you? He's not capable to be in the same announcing He's booth as me. He's one of the premier play-by-play men in all of professional wrestling. Admit I don't it. like him. I don't like him. Just be... I don't like him. So that means the guy's out. You I don't hate like him. him. How's that? I hate him. I can't stand well, him. Well, well, he well obviously you have to see a lot more He's of him. He's a creep. Then. He's a geek. We'll have to see a whole lot more of him. Then. I don't like you either. How do you yep. like that? Handspring777 says, One of the most verbose men to touch a microphone. The manager that legends like Cornette and Heyman defer to is the greatest ever. His presence ringside or on commentary could easily lift any horse manure in the ring to ice cream in the eyes of us humanoids. Oh, beautiful. Dylan is sick says, The way Heenan did commentary could never be done today. People would call it burying talent, but he would bash the baby faces so much. It was great. I wish it was done more today. The reason it can't be done today is because there's kind of an existential babyface crisis, I think, these days. Like, it's harder to be a babyface now than it was in the 80s. I mean, yeah. for fuck's sake, this was when we had 20,000 people chanting weasel and a man dressed up as a furry. Like, it's too wholesome, you know. You can't... You <laughs> Those babyfaces, of course you can knock them. They've got everyone in the palm of their hands. Whereas these days, it's like... You know, do you really want, like, cool Corey Graves to be like, I've got a cool put-down about the guy who's getting cheered and the girl's getting cheered, you know? Mm-hmm. He would have made fun of Bailey so much Aww. for liking, like, friendship and hugs and stuff. This one from the appropriately named Ham and Eggers IG. The greatest heel in the history of wrestling. He and Gorilla made 80s WWE, for me, far more than Hogan or almost anyone else in the actual ring. Yeah, I honestly think, looking back now, like, the thing that gives me the warmest fuzziest feelings about that time it is like things like primetime wrestling there's a friend of mine who used to when he got depressed he'd watch primetime wrestling he found like a place that streamed it constantly back in the day and he just popped that on and that was his kind of like his happy medicine you know that always took him to a warm fuzzy place it's a good idea and I think yeah there's so many like times when you're watching actual matches from the 80s and maybe some of the guys in the ring have got some fucking checkered past and maybe some of the guys in the ring have you know died in tragic circumstances there's so many like there's a lot of sadness with a lot of the performers in wrestling from that time mm. and i know some people can look past that sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do if you're not in the the right headspace 
But yeah, Bobby and Gorilla is always pure gold. And I will say Ham and Eggers on Instagram is the premier place to find pictures of jobbers. And then you can look at those and imagine Bobby Heenan making fun of them. Because that's what I do. (laughs) Angelo Zanola says, Just want to make sure the fact that heel announcer slash manager Bobby Heenan was completely right about how terrible Hulk Hogan was from the very beginning is acknowledged. Yeah, he didn't even actually realise how correct that he was. Yeah, he hated Hulk Hogan before it was cool. (laughs) Before it was socially acceptable and imperative to do so. Yeah. And the editor quotes him with this fantastic line. This is ab- this is one of my absolute favourite quotes, probably ever in the history of all quotes. This transcends wrestling, for yeah. sure. <laughs> if you're poor and you do something stupid, you're nuts. If you're rich and do something stupid, you're eccentric. God damn it, that is so on the fucking pulse. Like, so, so deep. I love that. Yeah. Perfect. Someone needs to make a book, WWE, if you've not done so already, make a little, you know those little tiny little little book of wisdom type yeah. things, just with Bobby Heenan quotes in there, you know, <laughs> so when you're having a moment of crisis, you could open it up and kind of go, ah, yes. <laughs> Spike Marshall says, probably the best colour commentator ever, and I always loved how he balanced commentary with his role as a manager. He is a heel commentator for a reason, not just because he is evil like most heel commentators, exemplified perfectly by Royal Rumble 1992, not fair to Flair. It's a really, really good point because a lot of the time it makes no sense why these guys are heels. Like Jesse Ventura as the commentator, I always thought the vibe was Jesse can't wrestle anymore so he's bitter about the likes of Hogan and whatnot reaching the top. But like Jerry Lawler, I don't know, he's just an evil king. Like, yeah. Yeah, Why was he a heel on commentary? Why is Corey Graves a heel on commentary all the time? I don't know, because he's kind of a jerk, like, you know. Corey Graves, I think, makes sense, though, because it's not like, it's not like he just hates the heels, so it's yeah, not like he's snarky, just evil. He? he just has his opinions, yeah. and his opinions are bad. <laughs> yeah, Elias is great. I agree with you, Joe. <laughs> but yeah, no, Heenan being, you know, he had his finger in a lot of the pies. Like, the guys who were in the ring, sometimes he'd be, you know, representing. And yeah. that makes for a compelling story. I would have liked to see maybe sometime Heyman, when he was managing a few guys, him popping on commentary yeah. a little bit to try and put those guys over or tell the story a little bit. Maybe we'll get that soon with uh, like someone like Leo Rush or Zelina. I'd love to see either of them on commentary. That would be cool. It would be really cool. Kevin Chia again says, From Meltzer's obituary on Heenan. While adversaries on television, Heenan loved Monsoon and went with the idea that if he was going to leave, that Monsoon should be the one to kick him out of the promotion, which he did on the December 6th, 1993 edition of Raw. Heenan said that after the show, he and Monsoon went to their hotel room and cried for an hour on each other's shoulders because they weren't going to be working together any longer. Oh my fucking God. How nice is that? Jesus Christ. That's like literally one of the sweetest relationships in wrestling. Like That's like the absolute reverse opposite of toxic masculinity yeah it is seriously wholesome masculinity that's what it is that's what it is exactly uncle wrestling says the sharpest funniest man to have worked in the business even his darkest wcw days he could still pop a laugh from the viewers he could have genuinely been a top entertainer outside of wrestling with the right opportunity yeah i kind of feel like if i could dream book a wedding i'd like it to be emceed by bobby heenan maybe you know he'd be a great wedding host i think (laughs) That would be amazing. Making quips about everyone coming in, like, it'd be fabulous. (laughs) Everyone would feel (laughs) self-conscious. A great quote on the Ultimate Warrior here from Smashed H. This guy makes coffee nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, coffee getting nervous. That is next level deep. I fucking love that. (laughs) 
So there we have it, Bobby the Brain Heenan, folks. A real fun look back at one of the greatest minds and definitely the sharpest wit in the history of wrestling. Joe, I don't want to put him on a pedestal or anything, but commentary seems to be something that wrestling has not necessarily clicked with you in that respect. Mm. Um, I feel the fact that Vince McMahon is your favorite commentator means that wrestling has done it wrong for you. (laughs) Yeah. But where does Bobby Heenan rank up with commentators for you? I mean, I I don't really feel like Vince is my favourite commentator anymore, especially having learned that he's basically just copying Gorilla Monsoon. Paying homage, pal. Right, sure. <laughs> I don't know, I think I think Bobby Heenan's got to take over as my new fave, and I think Gorilla Monsoon's coming right in with him. Yeah? Like, hand in hand, BFFs forever. This is great, it's like anytime we're going to do any kind of weird 80s wrestling now, we can just kind of hold each other's hands and be, it's okay, Bobby and Gorilla are here. Yay! It doesn't matter what's going on. It's going to be okay. Like, I kind of feel like this is now going to, like, anytime we do anything from this era, it's going to be like, yay! Now we, Uncle Bobby and yeah. Gorilla are coming around for dinner. It's nice. It's been so fun doing this episode with, like, yes, okay, he sometimes comes out with these very cruel, somewhat, like, tasteless remarks. Yeah. But, like, he seems like such a nice guy. In real life, People seem to have nothing bad to say about him. Everyone who met him says he's lovely. His family love him to bits. He was a total family man. Loved his friends. Worked well with his colleagues. Was an ideal employee. Yeah, literally the opposite of the character he played. Opposite of the character <laughs> he played. And also like, the opposite of like most wrestling stereotypes. Mm. So it's real palate cleanser, I think, to do this episode. Yeah, to think that Bobby Heenan existed at all, yet alone existed when he did, coming yeah. up from the 60s and 70s, like the real, you know... We were talking about fucking firearm usage here earlier in the episode. To think that someone with that positive influence and that kind of positive tilt, I think he brought comedy into wrestling on the mainstream. And I'm so glad that he was part of the the national expansion. I'm so glad that so many wrestlers and would-be commentators look up to Bobby Heenan because I feel that his legacy lives on through those people. As it should. And if you have enjoyed what you've heard here, all I can say is do two things. One, go to YouTube, type in Bobby Heenan, Find some primetime best of clips. There's dozens of hours of yeah. great stuff on there. Pure gold. And also as well, use the hashtag HowToBobbyHeenan. We got through probably a one hundredth of the tweets that we got. There are so many quotes, videos, little moments. It's an absolute pleasure. So if you're looking for some funny, pure, happy wrestle joy, use that hashtag HowToBobbyHeenan. But Joe, I think it's time to announce our next episode. This episode is so big and so important, we may have to reach out for a special guest to help us talk through the incredible career of one of my favourite wrestlers of all time, and unquestionably one of the most important figures in UK wrestling. We're talking, of course, about William Regal for our next episode. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! Why are you so excited, Joe? Because I got sent a gift the other day. I'm going to say that this is the reason why we're doing this episode. It's not, but it may as well be. I got sent a gift the other day of William Regal rolling around for an unreasonable length of time in condiments. (laughs) And now you're ready for the episode. That's the antidote to gravy matches. (laughs) What, William Regal in mustard? Yeah, rolling around in ketchup and mustard. Very erotically. This is very interesting because this is obviously a character who you're somewhat familiar with in being the on-screen general manager of NXT. Yeah, it's weird. I was I was talking to our illustrator, Dan, as we always work together with this artwork and I try and, I try and help as much as I can with the character. And I was trying to explain to Dan that William Regal is a character in wrestling today. 
that is kind of played on his actual role in the business of WWE because he's kind of general manager, but he's also a talent scout and he genuinely is yeah. involved in like the booking of the show. And yeah, everything. yeah, he is. He's a big part of NXT and the developmental mm. system. Yeah, but he's also been involved in the wrestling industry. What since he was a teenager? Yeah, at every level. This is like one of the only times where we're going to be in an episode and we'll be talking about you know world of sport, halls in Blackpool. WCW, WWE, WWF even, like NXT. It's a career that spans so many generations and so many different companies. And like even though you have been seeing Regal on telly as a general manager for many years, I like I think I'm ready to blow your mind with all of the crazy shit that he's been involved with. I'm so excited. We got to see William Regal do a Q and A, it was about a year ago, and it was the most fascinating thing I've ever been to regarding wrestling it absolutely opened my mind with what wrestling could be like he didn't even talk about his i was like oh no it's gonna be a spoiler he didn't even talk about no, his career he didn't He'd even mention it it's talked great. about christian and the dudley boys yeah. and other stuff and like. it was all to do with like the theory of wrestling and i'm sure we'll talk about it in the episode but a lot of the stuff that i've kind of my my assumptions about wrestling and stuff have been massively changed mm. by that q a by william regal it really made me gain a profound new understanding of what i enjoy about wrestling yeah and he just seems to get it on such a fast i don't know he's just such a clever man he really understands like all the areas of the industry and exactly what he has been able to contribute in the different you know he's played a heel he's played a face he's played a horrible heel he's played a comedy heel yeah he's played quite a straight character on nxt as a general manager I, that's only the stuff i'm aware of and that's the thing that's even touching on his incredible <laughs> in-ring prowess as exactly. well like this is one it's it, he is a jack of all trades and this might be a bit of a bumper episode in some respects because we're not just going to be talking about his matches and his acumen and his theory on the world of wrestling i mean you could talk you could do a whole episode talking about William Regal talking about wrestling. Oh yeah. But even actually just looking at his career and all the you know, we're gonna have a lot of comedy in this, a lot of backstage segments and goofs. There will be piss, will be drunk in not by us, by him, <laughs> uh, in this unreasonable amounts of condiments, uh William Regal in drag, all of this is all gonna happen, and we need your match recommendations, your promos, your favorite segments, your favorite stories of a real man's man, uh, the incomparable Lord Stephen, aka William Regal. Use the hashtag #HowToRegal. Let us know your thoughts on wrestling's greatest English villain and how his role in wrestling has changed through the years. Let us know your thoughts on him as a performer, him as a personality, him as a comedy figure. Him as a like as a booker like yeah. his backstage role I, i'm fascinated to learn everything about this man like, i honestly i don't think i've ever been so excited for an episode this i am so hyped for it's going to be all hands on deck there's so much to talk about i do honestly think we need to get another person in an expert in to I talk so. about this that's it's too it's too much show for one for one guy like <laughs> you know so let us know your thoughts on William Regal using the hashtag HowToRegal and as always your home for all thing HowTo Wrestling is HowToWrestling.com make sure you check it out all episodes are there as well as upcoming episodes and details on our Patreon where you become a backer and get access to a whole load of bonus content and support the show as well but until next time thank you everyone so much for all of your thoughts and your contributions on the most fascinating Bobby Heenan I've had 
an amazing time laughing so much about this man. It's been fantastic. I hope yeah. you've enjoyed yourself, Joe. It's not felt much like work, <laughs> which is great, you know? Yeah, sometimes these wrestlers can be a bit difficult to get into. This was an absolute pleasure from start to finish. Is so, this my Christmas present? I get to do Bobby Heen and then William Regal. Oh man, that's going to make shit really cheap for me. Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, until next time, when we're going to be talking about William Regal, it's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.